King of Wands. Authentic, leader, passionate, charismatic, experienced, energetic, influential, proud, sexual. This card could represent a person you know or will encounter or some aspect of yourself that is present or to call upon now. The King of Wands is a natural leader. He is devoted to his family and those he leads. He is charming and kind and is motivated to take action to bring about positive change. He is decisive and courageous and takes risks based on his gut feelings. There's a lot here. Um, All he, good things, it sounds like. Yeah. Disturbing. Um, he likes dis excitement, competition, and challenges. He has a lust for life. He likes to be surrounded by a diverse group of people. He is not rigid in his thinking and is receptive to different points of view when considering a situation. He knows himself well and is a very authentic person. He expresses his true nature in all he does. He acts and speaks with integrity. He is a compassionate... Ooh. He is a passionate lover. He also has a fiery temper and does best when he expresses his feelings instead of letting them smolder within. He sometimes gets carried away by his enthusiasm and can be an impulsive gambler, but even when he experiences loss, he picks himself up and carries on with optimism. Wow. My one experience with pokies will just... Uh, no. I was going to say you don't want to talk about mind. your gambling problems. Oh, yeah. That's what we're really... This is an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> Doors bust open. That's it. I'm going to have everyone come in here and talk to you about your, your gambling problem. I just don't want to see you in pain anymore. Yep. <laughs>welcome to fuck you tarot lady episode 19 my guest today is luke frison hello did i say it like that like with a french frison i'm never actually sure on that how one how do you say it what did you, did you say frison um i found it said it's easy to just go frison rhymes with prison and that's the, 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 like for such a simple name the amount of mispronunciations i've heard even though i don't actually know the pronunciation of it where is it from like where it is, is it, it is from france it is um yeah there's a festival there that i was super super keen to try and get a band on but it's also like a fundamentalist christian festival but i was really really keen i put through applications for jack the stripper a few times wow being like hey get us on <laughs> by naming rights by ancient code of naming law i should be on this yeah fucking oath your so, ancestors fought for that name probably something, something like that yeah. built a toilet there or something i don't know <laughs> anyway how's anyway. it going man thanks for coming into the sanctum and doing an episode of the show good good yeah a little bit tired it's my, it's my one day off in betwixt everything so i'm enjoying it and here i am you have to drive filling your ears with, yeah that's that's in, in a little cube too i just got a lone car that's shaped like a cube it just reminds me of the simpsons so much it's like, the lightest automobile I could afford. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about, is it yeah. about my cube? Yeah, exactly. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Yeah, yeah. you've got two Simpsons references in one car. So yeah. that's great. And thank you for driving all the way over from your lovely home to to come and uh, do a podcast here in this you got, room. You've got to come down from the mountains sometimes. So, yeah. yeah. Keeps you, keep you like, you know, connected to the pulse of the, you know, yeah. the well, city. You, otherwise, you just run up to, to the forest and let the moss claim you. So mm. that's the other alternative. Is that how you so, pitch, in, pitch your end? You know, just like going out into a mountaintop, leaving a note and then being like a skeleton covered in moss with like a cool note or something? I was thinking something like that. Yeah. 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 Or like set up booby traps around it so it could go full Indiana Jones. And like the last words you'll hear is, I've had enough. And then I just run off. Hospital gown open. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Sounds like a good, good way to go. People Flapping in the wind. People don't think about... Time. Maybe we could add that to the quick fire questions, like how do you mm. want to die? Because people don't think about it enough, and it's like, man, if you don't think about it, it's going to creep up on you, and you don't have a chance to get a really good death. <laughs> I get the feeling that it creeps up on you regardless. But uh, 
Yeah, but you good, can have some good. shit yeah. in like a will, you know? Like if I am going to go out, I don't know, strap some fireworks to you or something. or I don't know. Like, no, that, that, I think that was the original plan was wheelbarrow full of fireworks down Swanson Street. <laughs> like are you in the wheelbarrow with the fireworks? Um, yeah, and, and holding the wheelbarrow. I don't know how to have that both happening at once, mm. um, but I'm not going to be so presumptuous as to ask for a volunteer. <laughs> It'll be a horrible sight. No, yeah, you. Yeah, it's true. You've mm. got to think about other people in this as well. Yeah. Mm. Very thoughtful of you. Anyway, shit, so, let's let's talk about... Um, well, where do you want to start? Because we're going to talk about a bunch of things today. Like... You, you've got some exciting stuff on the horizon. You've also done some pretty cool stuff recently. You've also done a lot of cool stuff in your past. We should probably dig up in some way. <laughs> so, like, where do you want to start? Do you want to start in, with some kind of origin or... Um, yeah, origin stories are always kind of fun. All right, let's yeah. do that. You just All told right. me before we started recording that you were actually... You were born in... Or you, you were raised in Geelong. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I, I sort of went back and forth from there. Um, my old man was a, a sound tech, and so we started off living in Geelong, and he was constantly driving to Melbourne. And um, it's a family thing. I've done it a couple of times too. Where he's, he, he fell asleep in the truck on the way back a couple of times, and after that, <laughs> mum was like, nah, we're going to Melbourne. So we didn't quite. We're out in the hills. Um, I've stayed out there in Belgrave. It's a beautiful community, full of music, full of art. So, yeah, it's a far cry from the, uh, the the diesel smell and the concrete dust of... Um, <laughs> so how long were you there for and when did you move to melbourne after the after this dad sleeping in the truck while driving what age were you then like when did you move oh, to belgrade probably probably quite young about four i think it was oh, but i ended right. up keeping them going back there you know weekend dad access visits kind of thing so yeah, yeah it's got a little special place in my heart yeah, and me yeah. too. Now that I'm back up here, it's like, it feels good to be back, but then it's also like, oh, yeah, Geelong's all right, yeah. you know? Could go rip a roast, you know? Yeah, just go down and get some roast veggies. Yeah. <laughs> rip a roast, dude. Yeah, yeah that's the shit. Uh, listeners, that's a... Wait, is Ripper Roast the one that's opposite Caninia Park? Or... Yeah, that's the one. And there's yeah. also a Robbo's Roast, which is on Shannon Avenue, which is yeah. also a really good, uh, really? Really good roast. Well, I was considered a cheap um, copy, but... Oh, and I only, go in there, <laughs> I only go in there for like roast pumpkin and roast potato anyway, so... Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's all right. Soy boy, you got to keep it. Yeah, got to keep it. You got to flip it. You got to own it. I've called myself <laughs> soy boy a couple of times, and people look at me in horror as if I'm making fun of them. It's like, no, I'm declaring myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the hashtag soy boy. I was like, it's it, man. Rock yeah. the soy. Yeah, hundred kilo soy boy. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about your soy boy fitness endeavors uh, <laughs> later, but um, <laughs> let's stay on the origin track. So you're in Belgrave. Uh, you're obviously some kind of disaffected youth in some way that led you to heavy metal. That's led you to <laughs> tattoo yourself and pierce yourself. Like, how'd you get into that it's, moment? It's, it's, I don't know. Like, I found um, heavy metal always was an exciting thing for me. Like, even as a toddler, apparently, you know, as I was being taken along to the old man's gigs a lot, and it was a lot of um, like bikey country, like bands like Texas Touch and all that kind of thing. All, all those like kind of bands that would do lock-ins for the immortals and hell's angels and that kind of thing so it's like whoa just country twang rock but super loud and pretty ballsy um and so loudness was always sort of present um and then yeah there was like a, a few few pretty hectic things happened in childhood and then suddenly i got obsessed with ghost stories and then like any found out there was a style of music that combined the two Oh, yeah. so wait! I've got good ghost stories here in yeah. my little list of things to talk about. Were you yes. haunted by ghosts when you were young? Like, yeah, there was. Um, I'm, I'm still convinced. Well, the first house we had in Belgrave, um, I think I mentioned to you a very, very long time ago that last podcast. Which, yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, it was that, that that place was haunted as shit. 
um, all kinds of weird, nasty stuff happened there. And then the house burned down um, under my bedroom, which was a wild thing to wake up to at three o'clock in the morning. Whoa. Um, I think I was about seven then. But um, yeah, that place was spooky as shit. And then after that, um, started getting more and more into it and finding out more true ghost stories. And since then, I've just been obsessed with all that kind of thing. That's wild. All right, now, cool. We've jumped We've jumped ahead a little bit, but listeners... Feel f- like well, say f- feel free, feel free. You can't even look up the the Keith Solomon episode we did with Luke Frizon. Mm. Never aired. You were the only person that ever recorded an episode of the podcast that never made it to, to see the light. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. secret episode. So like everything yeah. we talk about now, it's like oh, yeah, I remember that, but it's like no so, one knows, no one can yeah, find out. Just rolling out the uh, old material. Yeah, yeah we can just we can do a complete recycle if you want. Nice. But I feel yeah. like there's been a lot of interesting shit that's happened in like five years since that episode probably was not airing you know what i mean that's a long time of you be doing a lot of stuff yeah five years is a long time it is mm. so anyway so you were haunted yes you were in a haunted house what happened yeah. to that property now has it been rebuilt have they like is there oh, you reckon it's still haunted it took a long time to rebuild it was really really weird so um as far as i know like the chain of events that happened after the house fire was we took a refuge the real estate agent that sold us the house um actually lived across the road and he had a spare level on his house so he took us in as um, neighbourly refugees for a number of months until we could find another place. Whoa. Um, and then as soon as we left, uh, he, he passed away horribly of a heart attack. Um, and then people that bought that place afterwards, the, uh, the, some neighbours uh, bought the property, uh, went bankrupt. Um, another couple bought the property um, and then immediately had a falling out and um, had this really acrimonious, long-standing... Uh, brutal legal battle over the place so it just stood empty for um it would have been at least 10 years and was it like charred remains or was it completely leveled uh it was it was pretty leveled by that stage um because i was hoping it'd be like a stranger thing style there's like a chain link fence up there's a bit of a frame people sneak in there maybe do some graffitiing is any of that stuff happening there wasn't there wasn't really enough of it left for that to happen um there was a gas tank attached to the house so when that went a lot of the house sort of went with it whoa uh, yeah no the uh it would have been there would have been more of it sort of standing up and being left there but like yeah we we couldn't have that i was actually that was that was one of my winter jobs on school holidays and shit was to go there and help uh, like clear, clear the, the property and knock the rest of it down. Whoa! Pretty hectic for a small child to be doing, but here we, here we are. <laughs> it 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 paints a picture of your the kind of extremeness of your life, even from like a young age, like biker bars, uh, ghost stories. I was house. born in a ditch, with a knife in each hand. Yeah, I'm just a Tom Waits song waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, like maybe that tattoo on your neck was always there. Like you've had that for years. I, I just, don't know. I just held my breath and blew. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> so anyway, so the house the house goes untouched for years. What's mm. what's on that place now? Do you go past every once in a while? Is it's well, there's another spooky house there. I've always been wanting to actually go in there and and be like, what have you guys seen? You know, yeah. is there something in there? Have you heard something go bump in the night like we did? But um, because- so talk about what you would see back in those days, like oh, when you were was- young. Like was there was there bumps? Was there? Did you see stuff? Yeah. Well, there was. Um, God, there are a few things. So the 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 backstory was that like my both parents are pretty sort of you know they're they're, they're logical enough and whatever they're they're pretty skeptical of that kind of thing. But they were both sort of in concordance that this is uh, yeah that was a thing that was a thing there. Um, so there was a lot of theories going into it. Um, there was a creek 
attached to a river going through the bottom of the property that went off into a forest where the, that part of the forest was notorious for a lot of suicides throughout the 80s. Um, and so there was a theory that, like, I've talked to some Ghostbusters about it, and they reckon that was part of the thing going into it. it was just bad energy flowing into the place from the bottom. Um, there were also the people that owned the house beforehand and the next door neighbors were constantly practicing like weird, like rituals and occult shit there the whole time. Um, so like back before you guys, so when would this have been before the eighties, like around the eighties? Yeah. Like in the eighties, seventies, eighties, like probably it was a style at the time kind of thing. Like back then, you know, Dennis Wheatley and all that kind of stuff, it would have been really popular. Um, yeah, all well, that yeah, satanic they were, they panic were, is happening, you know, yeah, people exactly. are doing some weird mojo in there. Yeah, so what what better thing for boomers to do on a Saturday than piss fart around with some of that shit. But um, so that's what they did. Um, and I don't really know much more further to that, but I do know that, um, yeah, thing, things started manifesting in a weird way. Suddenly the house was always cold, like always, always cold. Um, and we were, you know, almost going bloody broke just trying to buy firewood for the bloody thing. Um yeah, uh, I'm losing track here for a second. We might have to drop out that little bit. Yeah, so that's okay. What this else? This is a conversational podcast. You know, there's going to be yeah. some, there's going to be some ebbs and flows. We can't have like you know complete machine gun chatter the whole. No, time. let's let's YouTube tutorial video it and uh, e, uh, uh, like just that quick fire. Dude, um, isn't that wild? Like I listen to yeah. some podcasts with the intros and they cut every bit of gap and it just feels like robot voice. Yeah. It's, pretty it's terrifying. They don't yeah. breathe. No good. Um, yeah. Started getting the same recurring dreams in one room that was, uh, that was sleeping in where it was this like weird, like eight, nine foot tall, just thing, just a black shape with a white face, red eyes. Um, I was getting that dream from when I was like four onwards and the level of, of, of gore that went into those kind of dreams because what it would do was it would um, come down from the sky like a screaming harpy and just like attack all my friends and family and um, pull out their eyes and replace them with red discs and the, the, the hyper like hyper realism I remember in those dreams is like shit this, this isn't something that a four year old would really come up with I hadn't been watching anything like that to really go yeah. those kind of dreams and then just like yeah weird shit started happening like I found a a bow and arrow in my wardrobe that was my wardrobe, but I'd never seen that bow and arrow before in my life. And they were quite old. And also I was six. And so I remember like pulling that out and showing mum and dad, like, what's this? And like, Oh, what the fuck? And just- <laughs> like, was it like a hunting bow and arrow? Like, was it an act? Like, was, yeah. it wasn't a toy one. It was an actual, bow it was and an arrow. actual bow and arrow. Yeah. Whoa. Um, yeah, and then uh, the, there was there were other things that were sort of happening in the house that I was, I was finding out later on. Um, my parents were seeing things um, that took the form of an eight and nine foot tall black shape with no face. Um, so it was wild that sort of we were all having this same kind of thing. But So you dreamed it and they saw it? Yeah, yeah. They saw wow. it pass right through the front oak door and then go off the veranda at the end of the house. Um, and then, yeah, uh, shortly after things started picking up with that, like nightmares started increasing and all that kind of stuff. I remember having to sleep in my parents' room a fair few times long, like again, six years old by this stage, it's long beyond what you'd expect. Um, and then, yeah, one morning I woke up at, I think it was probably about three and I looked out the window and there was just fire. And I remember thinking like, the neighbors building a bonfire next to the house like that's awful close and then suddenly you know the door bursts open and the old man's there and he, he's grabbing me from the bed and throwing me over his shoulder and suddenly i'm noticing all the smoke and then like as he's running out the house i'm noticing the floor start to buckle like my bedroom floor start to buckle and fall inwards so all my stuff 
and would have been made too if it wasn't you know if it was Whoa. a couple of minutes later kind of deal um and then yeah that was that was that and place is definitely haunted <laughs> if you mm. hadn't noticed listeners they're definitely haunted mm. fuck that's intense yeah. and then where'd you move to from there were you haunted after that and what age were you at this point oh, i was seven yeah, so I was, I was, I wasn't haunted, but I had PTSD, and it was something that like they didn't really uh, acknowledge too much in the nineties. I think the, the, when when you're seven years old, it's a very, very sort of important time in your development where things all start to can either make sense or can make zero sense. It's a really, really crucial part in your development. So mm. that was a real watershed moment, and then I guess the uh, having to overcome everything that came with that. Um, maybe a little bit of a weird kid because no one knew really what was going on and um, teachers would react in increasingly arbitrary ways to my shit and so before long I was getting you know, locked in, uh, in in dark rooms by teachers because they were sick of dealing with my shit yeah and how did that manifest itself as a child like when you're at school like how did you act oh, up in just, not acting up but in a, in a way that you're trying to be like a little smart or anything but I'm assuming you're not going to process learning the way that other kids would because you've seen mm. some shit right well, there's a uh, there's a thing called distress intolerance that tends to, to develop after things like that, like those kind of events. It also happens in sort of more chronic um, disorders, particularly stuff along the lines of borderline, any attachment disorders in particular, um, but also I've seen for sort of PTSD and traumatic kind of stuff. A distress intolerance meaning that like for some people, this, this is an experience I'm uncomfortable with, I'm not cool with, um, but, you know, that's that and I'll, I'll try to face it with some sense of equanimity and, and then try to you know recover afterwards when you've got something like distress intolerance informing all your actions it just means as soon as something comes in that, that is upsetting you it's the worst thing in the world you got to go scorched earth and so that's what was basically happening um most days or weeks there was you know the, the, the other kids at the school were like oh you know it won't take much to needle this guy into scorched earth and so that's what they do and that's what i do and then the teachers are coming on top of that and yeah, it was it was a interesting dynamic to sort of yeah. grow up in there's um i guess looking back on it now um and where i guess society was as a whole at that period of time i mean that there's a there's a documentary on youtube you can watch called uh, children of darkness um that was filmed uh throughout the 60s 70s 80s kind of period time period i can't remember exactly when but if you're watching that and the treatment styles for severely disabled severely traumatized kids um kids that are very far along the autism spectrum and and their their skills are incongruent with a lot of social kind of stuff um the way that they were treated was just like you know stopping just short of cattle prods but they also did use electric shock therapy and they would do things like deliberately arc them up so they could measure their responses kind of thing and um yeah it was a lot of this stuff was in its infancy and they just didn't know what the fuck to do with kids like that yeah and so like i was taking anger management classes and all that kind of thing and they're like oh just count to 10 so i got real good at counting to 10 real quick before clocking a kid in the face and <laughs> It was it was this thing of like you know someone someone would like throw something at me or like sand or whatever like one three five six seven nine nine ten bang and then go just go for it. You'd be like, but, man, I counted to ten. I did my anger management exactly. strategies and yeah. I still wanted to punch him. Yeah, yeah, and that's all in in, in the mind of a you know, preteen kid. That's 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 logic. Yeah, yeah. Doing, you're doing what you're told. It's malicious compliance, but you don't really know what that means. You just I'm doing what they told. There, yeah. I did it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. shit, that's crazy, dude. I had no idea that. Um, 
you know, usually with um, people when they get into heavy metal, it's like, oh, yeah, I felt a little bit, you know, disaffected and then I decided to grow my hair and whatever. But, like, for you, it's like you were, you were always going to be drawn to this kind of stuff, hey? Like, did you ever, did you ever think yeah. about that? Like, do you think your life was always going to be meant to go in this direction? Oh, well, yeah, there, there was a lot more catharsis in, um, you know, even in, in general, everyone loves the villain kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in, in movies and, like, the devil gets the best lines, that kind of thing. Um, and so I was always drawn to these kind of characters and then to these kind of macabre stories. Um, and I guess that was definitely encouraged by the parents. And, got, like, I was being given um, and finding books on, on Poe in, like, when I was eight or nine. And so uh, the kids are, you know, reading the really fun ones, like Just Disgusting or Just Tricking and, like, the Andy Griffith kind of stuff and talking about that, talking about Digimon and that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, the pit and the pendulum. It just keeps getting closer. And like asking, you know, have you ever read The Mask of the Red Death? And they're like, what the fuck's that? You're like, I'm reading yeah. Paul Jennings, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul Jennings actually lived down the street from me in that haunted house. No shit. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense because his stories were bordering on the very, very dark in a lot of ways. And Drinking after some seeing the mojo from that river as well, was yeah, he like- well, just that, that area in particular is very dark. It's very verdant, dark green, wet and cold. Um, so I can definitely tell it would have colored things somewhat. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Fucking fascinating, man. How's that? Yeah. So you're reading Poe, you're getting into some weird stuff. Like when does yeah. the music, when do you start? Like when was the first connection to something music wise? Well, music wise, it was always there. I was always obsessed with it. Um, I have Fantasia on over and over again, just the dinosaurs scene in particular. And then like, um, you know, like my parents were both very, very musical. Um, and they would do stuff like, you know, they'd have Holst playing in the house and that kind of thing. So, you know, the, the planets and that kind of thing. And mm. so you're trying to find which uh, which of the planets you sort of align with the most within that, that arrangement. And I always found like Mars or Jupiter because they were the brutal sounding ones. And it was yeah. like, well, Jupiter sounds like really imperious and that kind of thing, whereas Mars is like, that's the warlike one. So it's a dirge almost in a lot of ways. Um and then, yeah, I guess uh, well, mum had a copy of the Black Album when I was eight that I found on CD. And I was like, yep, all right, this is it. And then found Linkin Park at a grade five disco. I'm like, this is even more it. And then bought that on tape with my grandma um, on in the same sort of access weekend that I discovered The X-Files. Oh, um, my God. And wow. found a book uh, that had um, Ambrose Beers, Lovecraft, uh, Twain, all these like antique horror stories and so that weekend was just like there it is you know yeah everything makes sense now i think that was something that we might have talked about on that unaired podcast was that Mm. i love that tattoo of lovecraft you have on your arm there yeah yeah definitely got that before i found out the name of his cat but what's the name of his cat (laughs) we can't say it on is it something racist because he yeah there was there was a lot of um a lot of shortfalls that that guy had on a personal level. Completely. And I, I think, think that informed a lot of his work. Exactly. And he was terrified of everything. Oh, dude, he was he was like completely anti-Semitic, but then he married a, a, a Jewish woman. You yeah. know, like he's a he was a conflicted, strange dude. He was agoraphobic. He was xenophobic. He was everything. And particularly when he moved into um, the cityscape, that's mm. when everything got a lot worse. And then you see with his later on, his later work, once he moves back to New England and it's kind of his space, that things start to be a little bit more rounded and worldly but 
we always wonder like we're, we're holding this guy up to to a, a metric that you know we'd expect inspirational people to have and he wasn't inspirational in any other worlds apart from the worlds that he was building completely um and there was a lot i feel like there was probably a lot about himself that he was terrified of too which is you know the fear of the unknown being that major thing but you know on top of all that you know all, like all his monsters look like giant space vaginas and that kind of thing so like i think there was a lot about these things that we could never never know um that he was just a very scared man mm. that happened to help identify a universal fear well i was um, just about to say that's i think the thing that um I I love about Lovecraft is that his ability to yeah just tap into this kind of real primal fear like this real yeah. sense of like oh yeah I just feel like and the, the words he uses and I mean mm. now some of them being a little bit anachronistic but mm. you know even just him explaining like it doesn't even he'll be like oh it's a color that I couldn't even describe but even yeah. you reading that it's like oh fuck but it's I mean, not even giving you any information that's like. yeah that's that's what I loved about it as a kid was it's like okay you know I've been told these these very straight like this is what it looks like and again going back to the paul jennings thing like mm. that wicked book series i remember i was obsessed with that except for the bit where the dog died spoiler alert but they were very very like you were told exactly what it looked like and yeah. here's some pictures to make sure that you've got it right yeah in the, the cover of the book explains the dude covered in tattoos they find in the thing or whatever. yeah yeah and like um and there was usually a tv show to go along with it and mm. that kind of thing and so it's like oh there it is this is very explicit um whereas with with lovecraft it was all very implicit and um there was there was something about that, and also something about the fact that you know here here's a series of books where it's like okay, uh, it, it follows almost like a much more Eastern concept, like a almost like a, a you tend to see a lot more in Japanese ghost stories. It's like okay, in Western stories, bad guy does bad thing, primal force comes up from out of nowhere, something supernatural, and remedies the situation. Tales from the Crypt, that entire thing it's like bad guy does bad thing ghosts get to come up and okay there you go lovecraft stuff is like here's a guy oh he's fucked <laughs> um why well he was there you mm. know? um and you see a lot of that with like a lot of the japanese ghost stories and that kind of thing it's like well it's not that you shouldn't have done that or shouldn't have said that it's <laughs> wrong place wrong time mate sorry you just got eaten you know like that's and, and there's there's something really uh i guess coldly appealing about that because yeah. it, it, it sort of resets where we sit in terms of our own hierarchical structure against the universe we tend to think we're very very high up and these kind of stories like no 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 you you could uh you could go and that will be that you know it it, it even just conjures up you talking about you almost falling into that fiery pit in the house like you didn't talk yeah. about that in any oh. other way other than just oh luckily my dad grabbed me otherwise I would have fallen in it's like well, it, yeah. you have like, to kind of be aware of that but a lot of people like to run from that harsh reality I think sometimes yeah well it, it upsets the apple cart in a lot of ways for that kind of thing because you, you, you get this script about your life that you develop and you develop it without even writing it it just writes itself about this is what happens and this is what's supposed to happen and I found that like a lot of my particularly my early life was um, there was something there about disproving that constantly you know, this isn't supposed to happen. That isn't supposed to happen. Well, they did. Now what will you do? Um, and, oh, how am I going to come back from this? Well, no one's going to tell you. Mm. So what will you do? Um, Count so. to 10 really fast, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. So, yeah, so you're just inequipped to deal with all the shit that's happening, like being yeah. thrust upon you almost as a as a... 
when did you get into like the the Lincoln Park and the Lovecraft? How old were you at this point? Like twelve? Uh, oh, earlier than that, I think I was maybe nine on ten. Whoa. It was ninety nine, two thousand, like that summer. That's a yeah. that's a lot of shit to already be heaped on someone, you know, at that age without even like yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's, it's certainly not like. I've, I've I've spoken to a, f- a fair few people from sort of uh, they've they've grown up in other sort of challenging circumstances, but those challenging circumstances weren't in Australia per se. So it's like mm. it, I guess it was it was sort of difficult growing up alongside peers that there's there, there's a shorthand that you tend to be able to develop with your peers about speaking to certain things, and the concept of of trauma being relative was one that you know you have to you have to arrive at and and be informed about and so mm. i never quite understood um if people are talking about all their dark shit because everyone's got a dark story and they're like oh you know what's 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 your story why are you scared of this why are you scared of that and i'd just open up the box and all the bats would fly out and they'd run away screaming and it's like oh shit okay i need to work out how to do this stuff by myself so i spent a lot of time by myself reading uh walking around wandering off into the forest letting the moss claim me, then coming back. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also, I guess, a huge part of your catharsis would be being on stage, right? Like, you... you, We've talked about this before. I don't even think it was on the podcast. I think it's Mm. just in general because what I noticed about you, like playing in Jack the Stripper, was Mm. it's almost like you shut off and then mm. you become this other thing during that set, and then you come off the stage again, and then you're back to being like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" But yeah, for the for yeah. those like 45 minutes you're on stage, I'm kind of terrified <laughs> and excited by, you know what I mean? It's almost like it's almost like instinct at this point. Like you're running on like this lower brain level of just like, right, I'm just going to do this thing, and I'm not going to think too much about it, and I'm going to just like. You know, like whether it means hanging off something or climbing on something or being hilarious or like everything feels like this instinctual thing. It doesn't feel like planned. It doesn't feel like this. Oh, and then in the between the third song and the fourth song, I'm going to do this thing. It's like, nah, you're just in, you're like this other person almost. It's it's very cathartic in that sense that you just get to um, so many layers of yourself that you sort of build up um, to be anything other than an animal or lizard, <laughs> lizard brain kind of thing like yeah. that. You just you just get to put them away for a bit. You just get to let go of them and just channel whatever it is that you've written about. And I was very careful to make sure that what I was writing about was was very descriptive. And so along the process, like it's also very figurative and probably doesn't necessarily evoke anything for anyone other than me specifically. It's very selfish in that way, like speaking to things in certain lines that make absolutely no sense. Mm. Um, but they mean everything to you. Yeah, and so you just get to channel that and and just. Um, yeah, like a, it, it, it got to the point where um, I guess towards the, 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 the last couple of years of, of my involvement with Stripper, it was um, starting to get to the point where I would dissociate so hard that I would actually not remember anything during the show. Yeah. Um, I think that was also aided by the fact that, again, when, when I was seeing psychotherapists and everything like that, like, what's his deal? What's the go with this guy? Let's, let's give him lots of medications and see what happens. And so there's these points where I'm on these three, four, you know, different medication cocktails on doctor's orders. Um, and yeah, like I wish I could remember some of these shows, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, like, and it just meant that the, the, on one level, it's like a total freedom, but then there's like an, a total abandon that comes with it. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, so. you, there's a, there's a risk involved that could be, you could do something mm. that could hurt someone or hurt yourself. Yeah. 
and yeah, and regrettably, some of those things did like you know there, there were some disasters that happened. Like, really? Was, yeah, there was one point I think we were playing in Taiwan. It was my first international show, um, and there was something about I think there was a smoke machine I was allergic to or something like that. Like different standards over there, um, and uh, basically the second line into the first song, I lost my voice, and so I'm like, okay, shit, I have no voice in this show. Um, there's hundreds of people in the room. Uh, they've never seen or heard of us before. They just came in because there's an Australian band. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do? Well, I'm going to like dance monkey. There you go. Go for it. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. Just hyping myself up and trying to hype everyone else up and doing the usual thing of, um, you know, I used to, used to be a bit more lithe and could jump and swing off things. And so I jumped and swung off a thing that turned out to be actually the ceiling. And so half the ceiling fucking collapsed <laughs> and landed on myself and a couple of other people. Whoa. Um, there's a photo of it somewhere. You can just see like I'm about, uh, what, about 10, 15 feet in the air. And you can just see like the top half of me with my fingers about a foot from the uh, foot from the roof and then the roof start to come down and I'm just like, just this look on my face. It looks like a comic book. Like, oh, fuck. Like oh, that kind of whoa. And um, yeah, there was, there was one poor bloke who um, we became good friends afterwards. Uh, the, the bit of the roof ended up actually hitting his head and, and um, scalping him slightly. <gasps> and so, but he was okay. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I was mortified by that and had almost like a, had a full-blown panic attack after that and then like, pulled that aside and then just chased the ambulance to the hospital down the road and checked that he was all right. He was fine though. He, he got some stitches in his head and went straight back to the show. I was like, shit. Okay. Fuck. That's an amazing end to that story. I was like, oh, God, I'm digging into something on the podcast we should be talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah and I mean like committing murder. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to go back to Taiwan actually. Uh, no. You just avoid that place. Mm. Um, th- that, that's so interesting that you say that, that there was also like a bit of a, a cocktail of, of drugs happening at the same time. Mm, and not the fun ones, no. Yeah, no. like, that's right. It's not very rock and roll, is it? No, no. But is that the kind of thing that made you feel like you detached in some way? Because that's the thing, like I said before, I noticed that in you that I'm like, wow, you're not there. Like, you're not behind the wheel anymore when you when you get up on stage in a, in a Jack the Stripper sense. Mm. It was just essentially like, yeah, full lizard brain, I guess. And it's fucking amazing to watch. Like, it's mm. it's powerful. Very powerful. But is there a part of you that wish you had more control over that kind of stuff? Or do you like the idea that it becomes this kind of insanity where it's like, who knows what's going to happen with you on a stage? I'm always sort of, I was, I was always a bit ambivalent about it because hurting people is very much goes against my values. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there was also like a bit of an implicit pressure to deliver that kind of setting and that kind of atmosphere in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and like, I remember that was, that was part of the, the appeal of joining that band in the first place is like, all right, these guys just get loose. They don't give a fuck. They, they'll, you know, there's, if there's nothing left, then they'll go for each other kind of thing. I'm like, all right, cool. That sounds like fun. Let's, mm. let's, let's have a romp. Let's have a beer. I'm into it. Um, but, I started finding more and more that like, you know, he'd hear about something that happened or whatever. Like, Oh God, that's no, I'm not happy with that at all. Um, and yeah, just like it, it did kind of wind up being like the overall energy being delivered was a little bit incongruent with the message I was actually sort of delivering. Like a lot of the songs were about vulnerability, about pain, about fear of those two things. Um, and about trying to process suffering on some kind of level. Um, and they're very powerful 
concepts and emotions and the things that I was really trying to um, deal with and overcome um, independently through music. But the package that was being presented was uh, just considered this this beefy macho kind of thing. Yeah, um, especially was, towards was, the end of Jack the Stripper that everyone's like, going to the gym and everyone's massive yeah, and, you know, yeah. like, and everyone, a- everyone got swole and then the, like that that kind of became the image and that was really unfortunate because you know my, it, it, in in my side of things it felt really unfortunate yeah because there was there's it's pretty singular in its in its approach if you you know macho strong band it's like okay great good for gym good for big dumb riff like you know we're, we're not a caveman riff band um there was a lot of nuance in it um Oh my god, so much nuance! Fucking and- click tracks in everyone's ears of nuance, <laughs> you know. Like, and I think that that's—I'm not sure what people thought of when they saw Jack the Stripper, especially some of those late, like the later clips towards the end, when like mm. you know everyone is looking quite big, everyone's looking very like it was, strong. It was and- very frustrating how misunderstood it got. Yeah, there, there exactly. Were certain publications that thought certain clips were like blackface or whatever, or they were just like oh, mis- misinterpreted. Yeah, that. it's like no, dude, no night terrors. Have you ever had one, mate? That's what they look like. Like yeah. you know, shadow people, you know. Um, Did you actually get accused for blackface because of that clip? Yeah, there was a place no that wouldn't shit. wouldn't run the clip. Um, and I won't, I won't be able to name who it is because some of my friends still work with these companies, but, um, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So they, they, they just sort of, they just missed the point completely. Yeah. Yeah. And you're never sure whether or not that's, that's, uh, just a malicious intentional kind of thing. Cause I think there was already a little bit of a falling out with that company prior to that, uh-huh. um, based on sort of what, what, uh, their, their reading of an email I sent asking them like, Oh, Hey, you know, just. Uh, the grammar in this, uh, like, I'd just like to fix up these two things. And they took that as a massive affront. And so, oh. yeah. Um, wow. And then wouldn't run the clip. But that's okay, because Metal Hammer run the clip. So that's great. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, going to say. They must have had nightmares one day. So they, they, they understand it. <laughs> and they obviously saw through some of that stuff. But I guess you're right. I mean, maybe people do see a bunch of ripped dudes all covered in black paint, you know, doing a pretty brutal clip and not really kind of getting the point of that and I, and I think mm. I always loved it because I guess I was a big fan of your live show and saw you guys play live many times mm. one of them actually I wanted to bring up that I hope you remember mm. uh, you didn't disassociate too much during was when you had <laughs> Mitch Alexander come out in a Pizza Hut outfit that you found from like an op shop do you remember this? Shit. I remember that we, we put him in some outfits but I don't think I remember that one too much so you this- had to inform me and remind me <laughs> So you were playing, it was like Bang or Goo or one of those ones. Yeah. And you guys are playing and Mitch comes out with the full Pizza Hut outfit and he has a box, a pizza box full of glitter that like in his one break in the song, he comes out, do you want to order a pizza? And then you smash the box and glitter goes everywhere <laughs> as the song kicks back in as you guys were so good at doing that. It was so good at that like, that, that, that. Back in, yeah. and then it would be like, and I had glitter on my Doc Martens for like a couple of years after. <laughs> Made then. you a little bit more fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't get that shit out. Excellent. I do, um, I do remember we put him in a monkey outfit one time before an invasion fest thing, <laughs> and the monkey outfit was uh, must have been like five sizes too small for him, so it was unbuttoned down to his crotch, like just snail trail <laughs> happening for an all ages show too, which was even better. He comes out the monkey outfit full of uh, bananas in a bag. And starts throwing bananas out into the crowd. Like real bananas? Yeah, actual bananas. And um, felt a little bit bad for all, like that was an Ash Hull show and it was like, oh, it was carpeted room too, just floor covered in bananas. But that was great. People were slipping on the bananas. It was chaos. It was, yeah, it was um, full Mario Kart. 
yeah, I think like a, the, my, my crowning glory of moments on stage um, that I can recall was when someone threw one of those bananas at me during that set and I karate chopped it in half. <laughs> In was the middle it in of the a, song. Was it in the skin? Or yeah, yeah. You karate chopped it. I was like, it. Shah! Like that in the middle of the song. Um, yeah. So it's nice Power that your mind moment. let you remember that, like gave you a bit of clarity for one second to chop that yeah, banana and like be like, a, all right, now back in. Yeah, that one brief burst through the clouds. Yeah, there you go. You, you, can, have that. you can keep that one. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's amazing. All right, well, I guess, you know, there was obviously a, a life before Jack the Stripper. Let's get back to nine years old, Linkin Park, uh, <laughs> HP yeah. Lovecraft, all these things start happening. Like, yeah. Then what's your trajectory angry, from there? Angry, spooky kid. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I, I just I stayed being an angry, spooky kid. Um, shortly afterwards, uh, met, met a couple of good friends um, at high school. Um, we all decided to start making angry, spooky music. Um, I tried playing guitar. Um, and after approximately 20 minutes with um, my mate Lyndon, Lyndon's dad's guitar, um, I was like, nah, I had enough of this one. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to play bass because that's got like a third less strings or fewer strings. And so I started doing that one. And then eventually I was like, nah, I'm not, not good at that one. So uh, well, what can I do? Yelling. Yeah, I can yell. I can yell. Um, I was in the, uh, actually, um, I think I was in the chamber choir for a little bit as a kid too. Um, oh, cool. Doing all that stuff. But then... Yeah, at that age, you're nine years old, my voice broke. Whoa, my, that's My voice thing. has been this been this deep since I was that age. So. I don't think my voice ever broke, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just that the testy pops happening, it can be a hallmark. Um, yeah, that bit was always handy because it meant that um, I could pretend to be people's parents on the phone. Oh, so. <laughs> amazing. You were yeah. that guy. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so you've obviously got the, you've got the pipes. So then, how old are you when you first start this spooky band? Like, you're in high school. What year are we talking? Uh, I was starting bands since, like, I started one in grade four. Yeah? Yeah. How? Um, uh, we had a brief foray into having a teacher, a guitar teacher, that came in and taught us guitar. And I was like, yep, starting a band. That's it. And started a band with this kid named Chase, I think his name was. And uh, then two weeks later, he moved away and I never saw him again. Like, no! That must be how bands go, you know? Um. <laughs> After that, yeah, I was always looking for something else, something else to do. Um, so I think year eight, we started making more bands and probably spent the next three years trying to come up with a name for that band um, without actually doing anything and started gigging probably about 15, started playing gigs and getting snuck into, you know, gigs at the art house kind of thing and playing those and getting a beer ticket. Oh my God, what do I do with this? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it's always been a thing. So what you said you couldn't come up with a name for that band. Did it have a name by the time you played at the Artie? Oh, no, I just joined another band that had a name. Oh, what, like, what yeah. band was this? Uh, it was like a Poison the Well worship kind of band. Um, just when that stuff was starting to become not cool, I guess, like uh, 2005. Yeah, 2004 or 5, mm-hmm. joined that one. I think, what were they called? Late to the Apocalypse. Mm. Yeah. We thought it was pretty deep. You know? um, and yeah, took it from there. Wow. And then, so what was the next thing after that? What was the next big jump? Um, I think yeah. Uh, after after that one died, I was probably around the same time that I discovered Pig Destroyer, um, and so I wanted to do a grindcore band. Did a grindcore band with um, a couple of mates called White Star Sunrise. Um, that was just about shit that made us angry, um, and that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, we we had bits in that where we would deliberately not write what we were going to be playing. So it's like here's you know here's the D beat and here's the fast riff, and then there was like 
you know, 16 bars where it's just everyone just does as much as they can as possible. Wow. So it was just like blasts and stupid shred and pitch shifty stuff happening um, just for that period of time. And that would stop and go back to the song. Like that kind of stuff was a lot of fun. But again, it was pretty fun um, trying to find gigs for that in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne in 2006, 7, 8, when all there was was, was metalcore and crabcore and that kind of thing. Yeah. So we're, on the, we're on those bills with metalcore bands and everyone's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know what the fuck we are. Sorry. Sorry for being here. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. So then, yeah. and then at what point did you join Jack the Stripper? Because there was an was, original vocalist before you. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, there was one and then they got Adrian from Entrenches slash, um, uh, what else is he doing these days? Um, he's got a studio. He's got a lot of bands, basically. Adrian Horseman. He, he was um, filling in for a while. Um, but as a temporary kind of guy or? Yeah, I, th- I think, I'm not sure what, what the arrangement was going to be, whether, I think maybe they sort of had him thinking that he was going to be the singer for a while and then they just kind of pulled the rock out from under him and put me in there, which I felt really shit about. But, you know, we're, we're, um, we're still good mates after all that. So, fantastic. yeah, he's, he's a fantastic singer and drummer. So, sucks on, you know, jokes on them. Yeah. <laughs> they got stuck with you. Yeah, I can't fucking play anything. This guy's like an auteur that can record and play drums and all kinds of shit. And then they just got like, this dickhead in gumboots from the hills. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> But you know he's got he's got an energy. You know he's got an intensity behind those eyes. He's 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 got just big angry boomer and a Range Rover vibes. You know, just pure rage. Do you have do you have the rage when you see a boomer in a Range Rover, or you have the rage of a boomer in a Range Rover? I have the rage of a boomer in a Range Rover. Mm-hmm. Out of my way. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've got a planet to ruin. Exactly. Get out of here. I'm mowing it down. You know? <laughs> Again, scorched earth. They're the kings of it. Fuck, that's crazy. All right, cool. So we did, and then, you know, Jack the Stripper was a thing for a good couple of years. Mm, yeah. Um, Nearly seven. Yeah, seven years. So it's seven years of crazy kind of performances and Mitch Alexander and various things popping yeah, out on stage and, and with you guys. And not knowing what we were doing with anything really and, and, and really starting to encounter those catch-22s that a lot of bands were starting to experience of like, you know, oh, we'll only put you on a tour if you've been on that tour kind of thing. Mm. So we really desperately wanted to leave Australia. Um, and it took a good couple of years to get out of the place because you're just cold emailing and, and cold calling and um, doing dozens of those a week for you know, a couple of years kind of thing. So we had a pretty big contact list by the end of it, which was good, but just trying to do everything so DIY was um, very sort of time-consuming, but a great learning exercise in a lot of ways too. For sure. And I think yeah. as well, like with a band that has a reputation like Jack the Stripper, people would be almost a little bit uh, hesitant to put you on a bill. Would that be Would that be a... I, I did hear some sort of rumblings. There was more towards the end of it, people not pointing to put us on bills because we were too macho or whatever. Or right. Had, so it came from the macho-ness, not the, not yeah. the say, Dillinger-style uh, insanity. Like, what if the singer hangs no. off something? Or what if, you know, like... Yeah, there was, there was surprisingly none of that. But, it was, it's, but it, was it was more the macho about, stuff. Yeah, I don't know really what that was. And I guess it was also, um, I don't know, like the, the, the term DIY, we always had a bit of a funny relationship with it because it's like we are doing things ourselves a lot, but um, when you see a DIY band or fly, you just think cross-punk, you know, like a, like they're, yeah. they're a discharge worship band or something like that. And so we were sort of in between a lot of these different things that were sort of happening. And so we, we, we'd moonlight in certain scenes and then bounce in between them. You know, we play a hardcore show or like a little tour without war with gods or one of those kind of things where it's all hardcore kids. And then we'd go play a metal show to a bunch of like with whore or whatever, you know? Um, and 
I guess people just wanted us on board if they wanted the band that was explosive enough on stage that keeps the energy up mm. kind of thing. But within that, yeah, got got to know intimately about just the, 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 the weirdness and the, the aloof atmosphere of the Australian independent music scene. And there was, I guess, that, at that period of time, it was almost like the end of an era in terms of like, this is the last of the big wig phase before everything started rolling into very like... Uh, independent you know everyone's doing their own thing now yes. it's a lot more accessible and easy to sort of do everyone's got their own sort of bedroom studio thing happening and and everyone can distribute their own music this was like the end of that it was the end of the myspace era um, yeah. where there was still money and things and people were still going at it, each other like it was the 80s yes and it was a very big dog little dog oh dude totally and i think that's so funny that Mm. you say that you you market with myspace as that thing but it kind Mm. of was that like myspace could break bands yeah to the point where they'd have international appeal absolutely you know and then once that kind of was over it kind of was over wasn't it like yeah yeah it was like start again yeah you gotta you gotta um, pickle your toys back up and put them in the chest and start again tomorrow kind of thing because everything the frameworks that have been set up were not working anymore yeah. Like, um, and, and there was that weird time between, I think, yeah, 2009 to 20, almost like, yeah, probably to 2015, where people were just scrambling, like, what do we do? There were new bands, like five new bands being started a week that would then split up three weeks later. And um, that, you know, that, that, that uh, polluted things a lot too, because the, there was no longer a sense of brand loyalty. Um, I guess for bands of like, oh, you know, like I know this band is going to put on a good show and I'm invested in their arc, in their act, in their material. Um, oh, they're gone. Okay. What's the next one? Oh, it's these two cool dudes and those two cool dudes from that cool band. Oh, they kind of sound like the other two bands. Yeah, cool. Well, anyway, that one's broken up too. So now you got to go see this one. So it was that constant like just riding the wave of new band energy that happened for a while. Um, That's so true. It's yeah. so funny. I That's believe that that actually killed the scene a lot in terms of the punter dynamic because it's like, oh fuck, you know, what am I? What am I going to see? Um, well, I can't see that band anymore because they've broken up three times, and if they're doing a reunion, it's a little cash grab kind of thing, and so it caused a lot of disillusionment. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. It's so interesting to kind of break it down with those kind of factors at play as well. That you're like, that's probably all the things that kind of led to those moments, and I guess mm. everyone's probably. I think age of the people would have something to do with it as well because you've got these kids coming up through a scene. Maybe now they're in their mid-20s or late-20s. Mm. They're trying to make a real go of it as well. And I think yeah. that's a difficult thing as, as these things corrode around them and there's not an ability to make a living or make a bit of money. It's like, how yeah. do these people still exist? You know, And then that's, I guess, when you've got a lot of people opening up tattoo shops and stuff. You know, like that's... Yeah, yeah, like, little, little like um, ancillary kind of businesses along the lines of those things. Yeah. Which I think it was like, it, 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 was, it was quite beautiful in a way that like a lot of these, you know, people were starting all this like, all their own personal endeavors sort of around, specifically around the scene to support the scene. Totally. Um, and, and a lot of people were sort of being forced to develop skills that they could take across the world because it's like, okay, you know, I might be in Canada for three months. I don't know. Um, I've got to be able to have something that I can do with my hands that'll be able to get me fed over there. Um, but on the other level, there was a lot of desperation. The whole place reeked of desperation. You could smell it um, in, in a lot of these shows. And it was just people just climbing over one another all the time. Mm. People um, have referred to it as the pile of rats before. Yeah. You know, like yeah. in the rat pile, everyone's just trying to be something, trying to have something. Yeah, to they, want, of- they want to be the, 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 the front part of the human centipede. You know, and that's what they're scrambling for, and they can't even see it. You um, 
<laughs> you we were talking before the before we started rolling on this podcast. You mentioned the the phrase social capital, which I really liked. Mm. You were referring to as these things kind of corrode and fall around us, as the bedroom sets on fire and, you know, things start getting sucked into the middle of it. Mm. You know, there's no more money anymore in the music scene. People need to find a way to exist in this world that's almost like a a, a moneyless society in some weird way, you know? Yeah, and I guess they were trying to sort of foment a new currency um, to replace the very actual one that was gone (laughs) because it's like, all right, well, we're all hungry. Um, hungry for what now? Because we can't admit to each other as well. It's actually just food and money. Um, because yeah, well, that's sure. That's but that's very base. Yeah, that's mm. very normy. We're looking for something else. We need something that we can share and trade amongst ourselves. And so a lot of that was yeah, like that that cred, that social capital, that kind of thing. Um, and that kind of came crashing down around everyone's heads, like the, because it created that that tall poppy kind of thing. You know, like in Australia in particular, we're very against our tall poppies. We like to mow them down. Mm. Um, if you get if you get too big and too tall, and your head's too big, then that you got to be taken down with the rest of us because we're a self-deprecatory country, and you got to be too. Um, but I think the other reason why that really sort of started to fall apart was because it, they, were, they were trading on the wrong currency. Um, Billy Bragg pointed out at that Meredith festival. He said, "Empathy is the currency of music and the currency of art." And that's what people are trying to foster and that's what people are trying to trade and develop with music. And a lot of people forgot that. You know, it became very much like... Uh, I, was, I was guilty of it too. Like, you know, I'm playing this music for me. This is for me. It's not It's not for me to express to you. It's just for me to feel good and feel okay about me. Mm. And but that's not necessarily... I mean, I understand that you're self-aware enough to know that you could have been doing more. But for mm. you to therapeutically kind of break through some barriers with that music... then. Yeah. And if and I, as a punter, still enjoyed that, mm. that's still, you know, you can't feel that bad about that. I didn't look no. at Jack the Stripper and go, oh, look at Luke up there just doing exactly what he wants to do. It's like, look at him do exactly what he wants to do. And it's wild. And I never could have imagined that. And I'm like complete, like my imagination set on fire by that. So you can't mm. feel too bad about it. Don't, no, like, like, you know, it was a special time. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's, um, it was just, I guess... I feel part of part of what's happened, and especially now that we've got you know this this massive just rash of of artists, musicians, and everything else sort of being put out there um, of like, all right, well they've done all this fucked up stuff, and it turns out that they've done all this fucked up stuff, and they've been doing it all along, and it's like, holy shit, like how could this happen? And we're always so crushed to hear these kind of things mm-hmm. because we've again we've written a script and we've got this expectation in our minds that if this person has has traded this 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 beautiful thing with us and they've created this beautiful thing that we think for us, then they must be a virtuous person. Um, when the reality is they probably they've, they've made it for themselves. And we've got this weird parasocial relationship with them where um, we, we feel connected to them when actually there's the, if they're making the music to paper over cracks in their own personality, then they probably, you know, they might not have much else to offer apart from that. Yeah, right. So, it's just yeah that that I guess that's the unfortunate side of it is that we became a lot more splintered and fragmented with these things, and so any future music that I'm making I'm I'm, I'm really trying to I guess attack that and make things a lot more sort of universal in their own ways and more connective in their own ways um, and less about myself and more about overall experiences trying to make it relate more mm. to people. 
That's amazing. So, so. I guess in since since uh, I, I want to get to kind of the pinnacle of Jack the Stripper, which uh, yeah. when I was speaking to Tim Anderson, he mentioned brutal assault. Yeah, so, that was like, a high point. Yeah, so yeah. can we talk about that before we move on and, and talk about yeah. your kind of future endeavors and, and the things you've been working on since then? Tell us about Brutal Assault. The stage was bigger than my house. I was terrified. Um, we were playing pretty, like, I think we were only like the third band on for like the third day, second day. Um, but there were still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. Um, so it was, there was, uh, I think that that was the that's still the biggest crowd I've played to, um, and that was terrifying in its own ways, um, but also just like that that the atmosphere and the entire thing they have over there it's a beautiful thing like the 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 camping festival it's 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 like a renaissance fair of riffs you know you just you're going in there and you just get to become music for yeah. just four days you just get to live and breathe. Um, and trade art. And which and country is Brutal Assault in? It's in the Czech Republic. Right. Um, yeah, so we got to go see the said Lake Ossuary on the way and see all the skulls. Yeah, skulls are sick. Um, Brutal shit. Yeah, so like we did that and uh, just getting to be, be around all these other you know, amazing musicians, um, fraternizing with them and all these, all these little fun little extra bits that come with it. You know, there's like the... There's catacombs in that place. Like it's an old war fortress. And so there's all these hidden catacombs and you go wandering through there. And if you find a shrine to Lemmy, then there's like a, there's a little shrine to Lemmy with all these candles in there. And if you find that one, then there's like a big security guard that accosts you and makes you drink um, bourbon with him at the Lemmy shrine. <laughs> and there's like a little, there's a little, uh, little dwarf on a, on a uh, bicycle. And if you, the person with dwarfism, you chase him around the bicycle, and if you can catch him, then he'll give you weed. And it's like, it's like Spire of the Dragon, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, like this fantasy world. Yeah, yeah, you just you just can completely lose yourself in it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to access those kind of worlds again because that's yeah, you know, that, that was quite incredible. Yeah, and then I think we played Rockstart Festival the day after that, and so basically we did our set and then had a four-hour nap, and then off we went for a sixteen-hour drive through to Romania in this little station wagon. Um, and yeah, again, that was that was that's held at uh, Raznov, which has the pit that they used to throw people in. So there's like a pit of death um, just up the hill from the mosh pit kind of thing. So it was on the edge of the Carpathian forest too. And it was like, that was really cool. Um, again, he, he, total imposter syndrome happening there. Cause you're playing with bands like mayhem and cattle decapitation and bloody, um, Negative Bunget, which was, uh, probably pronouncing that one wrong, but that was like the Romanian, the Romanian black metal band. And the main songwriter passed away, like just after that one too. And they use like Whoa. traditional, um, Eastern European folk instruments through their stuff. It's incredible stuff. I think it might be on Spotify. Wow. Just being able to play with those kind of bands and be like, man, I can, I can hang my hat on that, you know, mm. in a lot of ways, like was there, did that thing. And did you yeah. feel, like you said, that uh, in, in Australia playing here over many years, it was difficult to kind of figure out a place. Did you feel mm. at home? Did you feel like that kind of music belonged in that kind of situation? Absolutely. Their, their attitude to these things is very, very different. Where um, if they make a connection with the artist, then, you know, you could go there and play a gig with one band. And I'm, I'm starting to experience it now. Like I went there and played a gig with one band. And then I'll come back with another band in another period of time and people are like, I remember that guy from that band. I'm going to go see that show. 
and there's that level of, of just connection to the artist where um that's it, again it's like same with places like uh italy and greece and these kind of areas where there, there's just such a connection to it that like a lot of bands will sort of seek refuge there when the trends have moved away in the, our fast food culture kind of world over yeah. here like uh, bands like iced earth and that kind of thing took shelter in these kind of countries because like i'm always going to be able to sell out a venue here so i'm always going to play here so they just see things very differently over there yeah. in terms of how they how they take their music and um yeah it's it's quite quite beautiful oh that's so nice to hear so that's mm. a, and it puts a nice little cherry on top of that story and that you know mm. you you made it to this point and then it was totally worth it to get to the top and then you yeah. know you've there's, got there's, it now there's like there's a sense of arrival that yeah. you get when you when you get to those kind of points where like over here even if you've got you know because we played some like great shows down here and we played like dillinger escape plan um i was we play with like cancer bats like some of these great shows but there was always just a sense of like when's the rug getting pulled out Mm. you know when are we going to lose this is this is like a horse race comes thing like something like you know you feel like you, you, you you're just having to put bets on yourself all the time whereas over there you sort of get there and you're like oh mad all right there's no yeah. like the rug is firmly planted beneath you you know yeah yeah it's, it's not- like to to an extent yeah like uh, uh, enough that you can feel like again like yeah you've, you've you've arrived somewhere um and you're going to get the space to act within that mm. you know? That's really that's really lovely, actually. Mm. Um, so let's move on now to mm. the, the kind of time in between that. I've got a couple of other things still that we need to get through, and uh, we've mm. been talking for some time already. So <laughs> listeners, strap in. We've still got a while to go. You're not going. You don't have anything to do today, do you? I have nothing to do today. Great. This might yeah. be our record longest podcast ever. <laughs> so let's talk about um, like Fortitude Artist Services because that's something yeah. that once you finished being in a band, you started helping mm. other people in bands, and I think that's a really like you were saying before being finding a skill to then you can use to do more things and help prop the scene up and help do your own thing. And I thought that was a really interesting choice doing the, the fortitude stuff. Tell us about how that came about. Well, that, that kind of happened when we, uh, we, we played a couple of tours with this band from Japan called Nola. Um, and they're such beautiful people. Like they're some of my best mates and I, I always, always try to keep in touch and, and see how they're doing even though we're living very diverse lives now. I think Takeru is a, is a model for Marvel magazine and stuff now. So what? yeah, really? everyone's very busy. Yeah. Well, he's a handsome man, but um, I, I know he's handsome. Yeah. I didn't know he was model handsome. That's he's, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's wearing like the Iron Man jackets on their Instagram and everything. It's wild. But, wow. um, yeah. So spending a lot of time over there um, and in particular, like being really inspired by their music culture because they do it the best over there. That, as Japan is the best music scene in the world, hands down, and I won't hear otherwise. Um, they still fly all their shows. A lot of their, their shows are done through word of mouth. Um, there's over 500 live music venues in Tokyo um, operating every night of the week. So the sense of competition you would imagine would be fierce, but instead there's a sense of camaraderie that comes with that where they have the scene that we were all wishing for in terms of how they support one another um, and how they all understand where their music is coming from. I think a lot of it comes down to that fundamental thing about, um, about empathy and about connection, and especially because their language is, is so different to ours. Um, it, it requires them to really, like, for us all to really focus on that connection and, and foster it. And so spending a lot of time over there with those guys... Um, and then realizing that there's so much great music over there. And I just really wanted 
more people to see it. But at the same time, it's extremely expensive to get to Australia. And that other period of time, the Australian dollar was a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit easier for us to sort of get over there. And I was also finding there were a lot of great acts over here that were getting sort of glossed over um, or, or who I'd seen sort of perceiving as perennially knocking on the door and then having no one answer it kind of thing. I'm like, fuck, it's such a waste of great music and, and, and people that share these kind of values that are, that are really, really uh, important to have. Mm-hmm. And so was trying to make a project where it was just taking out all the horse shit and just like, all right, let's make bands connect with bands. Um, and then they can organize all their own shit. And in Japan, it's, it's, it's very, once you've got the right people in your corner, um, I wouldn't say it's easy to book a tour because again, there's, there's still lots of, lots of nonsense. But when we're talking like the underground side of things, as long as you're active and good and not a bastard um then you can work in that field and and continue to do things and so it was just i was just sending over good people um that would behave themselves um and make our scene look pretty good um and that was a way out of uh, that that catch 22 that i was talking about a little bit earlier where um I think it was made most clear we did a show at Big Sound and I had a chat to a lot of the industry higher-ups at Big Sound and it was very much, it was very clear that there was this this point where we'll take you on for a tour in Europe but you have to have already done a tour in Europe or somewhere. And it's like, oh, well, that sounds like a bit of bastardry but this or somewhere, I think we could do something with that. Yeah, and um, right. you don't even like if it's a venue that's under 500 cap in Japan, you don't need a visa. Oh, really? So that's that? that's my big spoiler for everyone there, because um, it's it's just uh, not there necessarily. And like, I I was always first time we went over there, and I was thinking, oh, you know, I've got to get visas. I heard all these all these horror stories about bands being turned away at the airport and that totally. kind of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh man, like these guys. The, the the NOLA guys that organized that first tour for us over there, well, every tour, but um, they would like, I would ask him and like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I'm like, you were just being blase. I was then- born to worry, son. You don't know me. I was made to worry, <laughs> molded by it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, getting to the airport and then there's like those, those super like military looking police kind of guys with their cool hats and everything and, and they're stopping you at customs and we've got all this stuff with us that's clearly for playing shows. Like giant cases shaped like a coffin with three guitars and it's like you can't say that's a snowboarding case or anything. <laughs> and we've got like all the, the IEMs and the, the digital desk and everything that comes with it too. It's like you can't say that you're just there to jam with friends. Mm. Um, and you've got the t-shirts and everything too. It's like, okay you're here to you're, you're a business and um i got to the got to that place and i'd just seen that that border patrol thing a couple of times with um rob from heavy heavy lolo who we played with down here um where they bailed him up and gave him the third degree and then put it all over the country it's like okay i gotta get ready for something like that and so they stop you at the border and and the, at the customs and they're like looking at the equipment looking at us looking at the equipment looking at us and frowning being like oh are you here Music starts mimicking playing guitar, like, ah, uh, yeah. Like, very cool. On you go. Welcome to Japan. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yes. This place rules. Wow. So, so it seemed that easy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I guess, yeah, it's the, the, the door is open in that way. It's, um, I've, I've 
I'm not going to sugarcoat this society. It's pretty brutal. And like friends of friends have, have wound up um, in prison there because, you know, they were holding a backpack that had some weed in it or something like that. And they straight to prison, that yeah. kind of thing. So um, it's got its brutal parts. But as far as the music side of things goes, it's just like, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was really trying to get to over there. was um, and, and I was able to go with Totally Unicorn on their tour. And I was able to go with Sunder on their tour. Um, the other ones I was unfortunately sort of, you know, occupied down here with all kinds of stuff. But um, every band on there, on the, all those bills was phenomenal. And we're talking like seven bands per bill. Mm. They still do that stuff over there. And everyone comes right at the start and they watch every single band and they stick around till the finish and then they help clean up and go. Oh my God, that's the most Japanese thing I've ever heard. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. When the, when the house lights come on and instead of, you know, seeing the kind of shit we see down here, the horrors of having the house lights on at the Bendy or the Toad or whatever. Yeah. It's like house lights on. Okay. People are picking up loose flyers and beer cans and in the bin they go and everyone's, you know, looking after what they have. Jeez, that's a, that's a really nice thing to think about. We could all probably mm. do a little bit more of that here in Absolutely. Uh, our fair yeah. city, couldn't we? Well, yeah, for one, we could stop just pissing all the venues money up on repairing toilets every single weekend but you know, mm. that's whatever that's a, that's a story for another yeah another <laughs> another podcast for five years down the line yeah that's yeah. it um it was funny i was actually uh partying with totally unicorn guys last weekend mm. your partner yeah. meg was also there yeah and we were all ended up chatting and then myers had this kind of click moment of like oh yeah he he was so great and then like it was this like kind of wonderful moment when he realized uh you guys were connected and it was Jeez. really nice to be also be like Oh wow, yeah, because I knew yeah. about the Total Unicorn Japan thing. I uh, must have slipped my mind that, of course, that was you, and you would have been there. And mm. then he said that you guys were all having a great time. So it's really oh, it's nice. Wild, yeah. yeah. There's there some really funny things that happened with that one. I think the highlight for me was um, we were playing. Uh, they were playing a show at Hokage, which is the singer from Palm's venue in Osaka. Um, great show. Um, Palm played it too. It's like they're they're one of the best hardcore bands in the world, man. If you mm. don't see them, you got to see them. They just they rip the dick off everything in the room. Um, Drew doing his thing, being amazing. He's wearing tie dye undies. He's about twenty times the size of every punter there. Um, gets into an elevator and just goes. And like he, he doesn't have the microphone with him. Um, I was chasing after him with the GoPro trying to figure out what happened to him. Turns out that he'd gone in the elevator. Like the band's still playing in the basement, by the way. And meanwhile, he's being sent in this elevator up to like floor five or whatever. The door opens. All these salary men are staying there in their suits. He's just there in his undies. <laughs> like, there's, there's this big bear of pure confrontational energy. Just like, what the fuck's happening down there? And then he had to try and find his way back down. And so we just let the microphone... We just gave it to Will from Palm and he was just doing the set while waiting for Drew to come back. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was one of my favorite moments. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. So, um, so you know, that stuff's all happening on the side post-band mm. stuff. But were you were working on some band stuff at the time. Yeah, like what's yeah. happening? You've, oh, you've, been, yeah. you've been a little inactive until oh. just recently. Everything's been very much still all systems go. Um, there's been a couple of slight misfires uh, uh, lofty plans for for a couple of things that didn't quite come through um just I'll, I'll i'll readdress them when i've got all the right sort of things in my corner and people in my corner because we're talking you know big big thing like action figure comic book tie-in kind of like really really ambitious um kind of goals to do with um making some theatrical 
high concept themed uh, black and roll. So uh-huh. it was going to be like mixed with, um, you know, we really wanted to put in some like Michael Schenker group and even some like the damned kind of stuff and get like sax happening. Just a really big idea. Um, sort of ghost level, but with more backstory. Like yeah. much more. We'd written the whole, we'd done world building and written lore about this kind of concept. And so all the songs were about monsters and how they all interacted. And um, I was going to be getting Andrew Divoff, the Jin uh, from Wishmaster was going to be on there um, that's narrating. Something, that's yeah. something that's written on my list here. I, I spoke with Tim Anderson, uh, who doesn't have Instagram, by the way, if you guys oh. are... <laughs> He does or doesn't? No, he doesn't have Instagram. Oh, no. I was hoping you say he did. You can't find him. That's what I'm saying. You no. can't get Tim Anderson. He's not on Instagram. No. But I did I did send him a personal message saying, hey, I'm having mm. Luke on the podcast. What should yeah. I mention? And he goes, well, find out why he got Andrew Divoff from Wishmaster to do some voiceover work. So that's explained yeah. here. So you had him. He was going to be like your Vincent Price. In yeah, Thriller. yeah. Like so get- that, and that came from, I sent him a message on Facebook or his, like his official page on Facebook facebook i just decided to go full dead shit like hey man like love your movies love wishmaster love he was on air force one as well he was yeah. one of the bad guys in that he's an incredibly erudite dude turns out that he's got all these different things going yeah i did some IMDBing of him when because yeah. i obviously didn't recognize the gin from wishmaster's yeah. name but then i found he was also in this movie called faust love of the damned have you yeah. seen that movie not that one no oh no. dude it's wild it's he like, has the best voice it's like a yeah. comic book from like the late 80s or something mm. and it's got like a full new metal soundtrack like machine head sepultura Incredible. yeah um what else is in it and then it's essentially like a it's a it's essentially a shit cheap spawn he's like mm. a demon dude with like wolverine claws and it like they're really floppy like they're yeah, not yeah. the budget's not high enough for a fucking Love good that. yeah but he just, plays the bad guy in that movie faust as well he's one of the best bad guys yeah in 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 our time he's one of the best villains and i don't think he, he hasn't been given the right platform for this unfortunately like mm. and i got so excited because i saw that guillermo del toro um and had a book series out called the strain um which is like a, a vampire apocalypse kind of thing mm, like um, the dudes from blade 2 essentially but yeah basically blade. yeah it was like the, the the old school vampire kind of thing but it was about a parasitic worm um that that was transmitted through this it was like a, a worm virus mm. um that turned people into ghouls did you watch and, the show yeah well he's in the show yeah i, I bought the box say. set because i'm like there he is who's Fuck he in yes. the show He's the doctor that gets his head stomped in the first episode or whatever it is. No shit. And I'm like, you blew it. You blew it. I thought he was going to be the bad guy. You know, he would, he's the best bad guy. He's the best big bad out there. Yeah. Like even Fuck. just the, the and, and you can see he loves his lines and he loves the role. Like Wishmaster 2, where he's just really leaning into the cheese and fulfill the prophecy and all those kind of like super overdone voices. So you hit this dude up via Facebook and yeah. he replied to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I must not have had much to do that day. But yeah, like I just said, that was what was going on. And the wild thing that happened with that was that um, a friend of mine, um, Jules Lucas, and his, his partner, Cherie. Now, Cherie has had a really rough trot for the last few years. Um, and she'd had a couple of strokes. Um, and there was at the point where if she had another one, then that would be it for her. And, you know, she's a young mother. They're a young family. She had Whoa. all these things and they just completely derailed their lives um, with this awful, awful situation. 
um, and they had been given a referral to this this celebrity surgeon, neurosurgeon, uh, named Dr. Charlie Teo, um, who could do the surgery and save a life. It's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars. So he started a crowdfunding thing just out of desperation. It wound up going viral, and they made the money. It was on a current affair and everything because oh, like people amazing. were just like, "Fuck, we got to do it." And he saw it. Andrew Divoff saw this thing. Um, and every time he was writing to me, I couldn't not imagine it in the Wishmaster voice. So it was just this, <laughs> I have noticed your friend needs some assistance. And so he sent me these one-off pieces of jewelry that he'd made himself. He's a jeweler as well. He'd made this one-off ring with a garnet in it that he'd hand-carved himself. Um that was modeled after the the bad guy from the Wishmaster. Whoa. And he's like, use this um, to raise some money. And so we raised some money around it and ended up getting a thousand bucks over to the family, which helped them with their hundred thousand dollar goal. So yeah, thank you, Andrew Divoff. You, Fuck. you fucking legend. He just did it. He's like, there you go. Like no, no virtue signaling about it whatsoever. That's just the kind of guy he is. He runs a, a charity um, scholarship program for kids that want to break into the theater and arts. Um, and that's what he does with his time. Now yeah. he Amazing. spends all his time helping other people get a leg up. That's very inspiring. I had no idea that mm. asking about <laughs> the Wishmaster was going to yeah, be fucking like, grand wishes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, now the, the, the whole thing of that movie is that, you know, at what cost? So yeah. waiting for what that cost might be. Interesting concept. Mm. It's life imitating art, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah fucking crazy all right cool so that ended up so that thing hasn't eventuated do you think one day will eventuate do you think there's you're waiting on time or do you think that the time has passed like it's going to be a slow burner i think i'm i still haven't given up on it um two guys that are with me on this one still haven't given up on it um so we'll just it's it's gone underground but it'll slowly start creeping along Mm. it's just we're not going to throw all our cannons into this one um because we don't we don't want to have a repeat of you know, that sort of fizzling out shortfall where, you know, there were, there, were, there were, I guess, some commitment issues that were sort of happening with some of the members. And so like, okay, cool. You know, you guys do your own thing. This is mm. before anything's happening. So this is the perfect time for us to just break it apart. That's right. Because otherwise, you know, you get people invested, they buy the comic book tie in, they buy the action figure. Obviously, of course, I would want the action figures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then and you have all this and then it potentially doesn't go anywhere, which again, I, I appreciate that about you that you don't want to, you know, this thing is, you know, I feel like... It's got to be full. Exactly. You can't, you can't be half done. You can't half-ass it. And I've always been very much about, like, you got to do everything complete and make it airtight. And so that's what it would have to be with this. And so we, we would essentially be launching three different, separate things at once that are all cohesive. Mm. And that would be a great point of difference in a way. But, um, yeah, instead... Um, hang on, take a quick break. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and we'll do no. that instead after that. No problems, man. So we'll look at... Yeah, um, so well, Skull Mountain was that was that was the one that was the vaudevillian black and roll um, theater spectacular um, <laughs> that that will return. It's just gonna it's obviously gonna take a lot more work than originally thought and probably a lot more um, resources than originally thought. So wait, you thought the plans. you thought the comic book tie-in Andrew Divoff voiceover. T- toy line all these yeah, things we, you we, thought it was going to be just easy done no absolutely not um <laughs> like i'm happy to do it um 
and and I was prepared to go for the throat with it, and I was I was putting a lot of time and effort into it. It's just about um, making sure that everyone else is on board to the level that 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 might require to at least get it to a point of arrival where then you can sort of sit back on it and be like, okay, you know, mm. um, because like it or not, there there, there will be a, a period of time um, in your career where you need to just be that for a little bit. You know, you got to take the jump. Yeah, and, and that requires um, more time, more effort, more preparation, um, all these things. And it's very hard in our situation that we all live in now, where mm. everything is instant gratification. Everything is you do this thing, and then you instantly get, you know, your yeah. spoils. But then with this, it's like, you know, you're not showing anyone this stuff for ages. No, no. You need to, you need to almost like hold on to that stuff in the tank of like, oh, but eventually though, you yeah, know, and then yeah. just put in all that work and time and effort for for what feels like little payoff because you're not getting that gratification that you would if you were to play a show or you were to like, I don't know, sell some merch or get yeah, some Instagram yeah, like, likes or whatever. We we wanted to. Well, that that one was always like we just wanted to bring back 1992 Saturday morning for everyone, mm. like in a lot of those ways, and just have it a little bit spooky and just have that kind of vibe happening. Mm. Um, because I think there's in, in a lot of ways there's there's so much uh, there's so much horror out there at the moment. We wanted to reassert that locus of control for people of like, okay, this is my horror, this is my spooky guy that I like, mm. you know, and try to bring things back to that level in a way. Um, yeah, so like again, we'll, we'll we'll bring that one back. But in the meantime, one thing that I've been working on pretty much um, from the get go, as soon as I got back from from the that that stripper tour um, and had left, I was discussing with a couple of these guys about this this Tech Death album that they'd written, and I was like, oh yeah, Tech Death, cool, like I like it, yeah, all right. Um, and then they showed it to me. I'm like, oh my god, this thing is fucking. I feel like I've just been hit in the head with a ton of bricks. Like it's so dense that it actually took about three months of listening to the demos for me to actually get my head around it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, now it makes sense. Okay, now it's got a narrative to it. Um, and so I decided to make that one. It's it's a very mental health and pathology themed kind of work. Um, and so we've written a concept album that we've recorded. Um, we just finished a video clip uh, last weekend. Cool. Um, and that'll be coming out this year. It's called Growth. Um, and I'm, I'm calling it post-traumatic death metal. That's what I'm calling it. Um, because we're getting into like, it's, it's a very specific narrative about, um, personal, like lived experience, um, without the, uh, the, the veil of safe disclosure that we need to put on when we're talking about things like this in the social sphere. Yeah. Because like, obviously safe self-disclosure is really, really important when you're talking to these kind of things and you got to talk to them rather than about them. Because it's like, you know, to to whose end and to whose advantage are we talking about this? Is this so that I can relate to this person to help them? Is that why I'm talking about this? Or am I just talking about this because I want to be heard? Mm. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to put all that into an album and then they make the rest about being useful and helpful for it. Fuck, other people. that's amazing. So we've got one and then we've, we've already started writing the, the, the second one. Um, the first one, we've, we've had it mixed by Nordstrom, who's done all the... the top favorite albums he's done like he did the haunted and at the gates and opeth and that kind of thing um and you know people will be able to actually hear it at some point soon but it hurt him and it gave him a headache and to me that's all i needed to know 
So you know tell I mean? us, tell us a little bit more about growth. So who? Mm. I, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Right. Okay. Who else is in the band? Out the gate. So it's the Barnes brothers. So Tristan um, and Nelson, who were both playing together. They were based up in Queensland for a period of time. They had bands like uh, Function Cease um, and a bunch of other sort of more death metal kind of things. Um, did a lot of tours like they, they were doing the supports for like Nylon Decapitated like they were the shoe in for that kind of thing mm-hmm. back in mm-hmm. the day the Rosie's Lounge kind of days of Brisbane um, then Tristan moved to Iceland and he joined Shrine before they were Shrine and Nelson joined the Schoenberg Automaton and I think he moonlighted a bit for Nebula Viscaris as well he's a ridiculous drummer wow, okay. um, and so they've just been sort of doing their own thing but they've been working on this um, piecemeal um, since 2013 um, and so by the time it came to me, it was about three and a half years old and it was, um, very, very big and thick. And so my job was to try and make room for myself in amongst that. And, um, right. so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a big one. I'm really looking forward to seeing what people think of it. Um, and I'm very happy that it gave Nordstrom a headache. So. <laughs> Cop That's- that. That's amazing. So this this is good because this is going to lead into what I want to talk about as well. Mm. Um, you you filling in for certain people just recently, and I was like, yeah, I wonder how you got up. the how you had the exactly the pipes to do this. But if you've been working on this growth stuff for a long time, you must have mm. been you know like those those parts of your throat haven't uh, you know seized well, up or, or mossed over just I, yet. I'd been working on um, you know it was maybe just a couple of hours here and there, but it was essentially every week from 2017 to 2019. We're working on this album. I would just go there every single week on like a Monday or a Tuesday night, um, and it would start off with uh, you know the writing, and then I would just continue, and then we're gradually replacing the scratch tracks with complete stuff. So I was doing it every single week, um, and I've had some really good coaching um, from uh, Stu Hunter from Singers Workshop, um, and he showed me how to sort of train these things in the right way and that's really just a set of muscular systems here's how to train them here's how to look after them here's how to prevent blowout or burnout and so i've been applying those principles the entire way um so yeah like definitely there was a lot of cobwebs being blown off with the, the red shore <laughs> show that's and, it that's and, up here on my little list yeah here. i just saw it on the piece of paper there like <laughs> and that was that was very much like i don't know had a lot of apprehension about it because it's it was the biggest crowd I've played to in Australia, and, yeah. it's, and it's not mine. So yes, it's like okay, there, there's there's a lot of pressure here to deliver. The only reason why the the singer that everyone knows and identifies with isn't doing it is because he is saving lives, fighting the fires, doing a very very important and virtuous thing. So who the fuck's this guy, you know, that comes in that just does it? Like who is he? So I had to sort of be able to prove myself within that, but then not overly do so yeah um because i i don't think i even no i didn't even properly introduce myself during the show it was just like i'm just a guy yeah i just wanted to make it much more about the band being back together it's that's an insane thing let's run through some of the uh mm. some of the factoids mm. <laughs> so redshaw reformed to play invasion fest in mm. sydney yeah uh you get a week's notice to mm. be fill-ins for to the for the vocals for that kind of stuff which is yep. pretty insane like I guess there'd be some easier bit kind of bands to pick up vocally, right? And fill in for, but Somewhat, like the yeah. Red Shore is something that's pretty insane. So it's like, yeah. how were you, how, what was the process for you to like in a week get that down? I was pretty lucky in that I was already a pretty big fan um, growing up. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, weekends in Geelong, you go there as a kid and it's that's like, right. who's, who's playing? Well, Red Shore, sick. All right, go yeah. see them. So this it's pretty is, cool. This is, this is my introduction to, oh, you can, you can 
play this kind of brutal music, but you don't have to be like a, you know, to look like a, you know, decrepit factory worker kind of guy that like, you know, belts everyone kind of thing. You yeah, can you actually can just like be nice, yourself. You can wear like nice jeans and a yeah, nice shirt. You yeah, know? like, yeah, you can wear, wear some nice stuff that makes you feel good when you wear it. Like it's a little bit more svelte and the, 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 the approach and the attitude was very much less about like, um, I got real bored of, of traditional death metal at that stage um, because it was very much, you know, there was, was so much Chris Barnes in it, like the, the cookie cutter, cookie monster kind of thing happening at that stage. I hadn't seen the great stuff that was happening underneath. Mm. I was just really, really bored of it all. And so seeing this other thing, it's like, oh, okay, here's a death metal song. But it's, oh, it's about pain. You know, it's about rejection. It's about heartbreak. Fuck yes. That's what I need. Um, and so being able to see these kind of bands growing up was very, very important. So I already knew like the, the biggest songs. Um, so that was advantageous. There was only nine and I wanted, I wanted to try and get more, but trying to do two songs a day is, and learn them to be able to perform them to 1100 people is like enough of a task in and of itself. Fuck it. Um, so yeah, that happened. I said, yes. Um, I never used to say yes to things and I'm filled with regrets about not saying yes to certain things. So um, what was stopping you from saying yes to certain things? Like just your own, just you stopping like, yourself or, Oh, there, there, there was just some, some sub opportunities I was given. Like in my early twenties, I was invited to become a, uh, boxing trainer at, uh, on a cruise liner in the Caribbean straight out of the gate, graduating our personal trainer school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would have been doing. Oh, oh, I got a girlfriend, and oh, I got a band. So oh, nah. It's like okay, you know, I don't really talk to any of those people now at the age of thirty, and I probably would have done better to be in the Caribbean for a couple of years. But um, here we are. You know? mm. Just these all these little things that come along of like oh, I could do that, but couldn't. Um, you know, I think the, the 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 last point where I said to myself, no more, I'm never doing that again, was um, King Diamond was doing his Abigail reunion tour. Um, and playing House Call Horror Festival and I was like oh man like I actually had my tax return I have the money to do this I could go do this and then the thing was sort of over my head of like oh what if what if we get a tour at that same time what if this thing that is absolutely not going to happen happens Uh, so there was always just false apprehension falsely informed apprehension around it so Instead of just saying, saying, yep, yep, let's let's give it a crack. Or best yeah. case scenario, you could always just, you know, come to Psycho and see Merciful Fate in August. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> but also, I guess the, the, the other fun side of it is that I've, I've been invited to, um, to the Varken um, in whenever that is, June, July, um, because... Friends of friends, like that. That I mean, that story I told you about Chris and I in the park in Sydney ages ago. We we went to a children's bottom gig when we were fifteen, yes. and we got the shit kicked out of us right outside the venue. And Chris's mum emailed the manager of the tour and was like, "What the fuck is this? How can two kids get you know attacked so badly? My nose was broken in three places. It was hectic. Like Whoa. my spine was nearly broken. It was a very very violent night. Um, and yeah, she she emailed him being like, "What the fuck." And he emailed, he emailed back being like, holy shit, I'm so sorry. We did not expect anything like that to happen here. Here's all this complimentary like one-off merch for your kid, uh, which was Chris, bastard. Um, so he got all this cool stuff. And then they just got talking, him and um, so Chris's mum and Flash, the tour managers got talking and talking. It turns out that they had a lot of things in common, a lot of interests. And yeah, they've been together for 
that was 2005 yeah, so they've wow. been together for like longer than Chris's parents were together longer than mo- lo- most marriages are they've been happily unmarried for 15 years that's amazing so, yeah so yeah. it just took you to you know break your nose in pl- three places and almost break your spine to make your friend's mum real happy pretty much yeah and also <laughs> and also sort of paved the way for him to be able to do great things with his music like he was the guitarist for Sodom for a tour in Australia like, oh wow I didn't know and, that and he went over and played with Sodom at Varken Festival in like 2011 it's like fucking who does that you know well Chris and what does he do about it well he doesn't really talk much about it he's like oh yeah I did that thing but um, yeah so they're, they're, they're all going back I think Sodom's starting back up this year properly um, and they're going to be all over there and I've been asked to go over there it's like Flash's birthday so here you go you can you can go pretend your crew for Sodom and go kick around and yeah. maybe maybe get to see King Diamond or Merciful Fate yeah. one or the other you know that's great it's so it's funny like, when you were talking about that uh, I was in shock when Jared Bridgman was on the podcast from Earthrot mm. and he was talking about how he's like I'll oh, just make myself available to play shows and do things and like and I'd never heard someone be so matter of fact about just being ready for anything and I kind of was a little bit envious. I was like, oh, I've done that, what you were talking about before. Mm. Like, I've been like, oh, but what about this thing? Or just looking for yeah. excuses to not take a chance, not take a leap of think, something that you want to do, you know? What I've found is that people talk about this. Oh, you're so lucky and this is luck and that's luck. It's, uh, my favorite quote of probably of the day at the moment because I only just heard it this morning was, um, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so you just be... That? Um, oh, it was a Marcus Parks thing. So the last podcast they were talking about, <laughs> they were talking about the assassination of John Kennedy. <laughs> that phrase goes in there. Um, God, I love that. But yeah, the uh, so so the, the the key is to be prepared in line with your values and in line with your skills and just be there available for opportunities. Yeah, and, I love and, that so much. Yeah. So you're going to do a bit more of that. That's happening more. Very much so. Like I've, I've, I've really started tailoring my life instead of it being about like, oh, this one band's got to succeed. This one band's got to do things. It's like, okay, like do lots of stuff just that makes you happy um, and be prepared for any of it to go do a thing and, and just be a good dude or <laughs> try to, you know, try and be useful and helpful. So run us through, um, the Redshaw stuff. Now that we've, mm. now that we've got this background that you have, you know, you're saying mm. yes to things. Now you've mm. got, uh, Tim Anderson, not on mm. Instagram. He's no. there. Old bandmate of yours. Good mm. friend. He's there in the band. Is he like, who's, is there a pool of people they're asking when, you know, when I think there, there, there was a couple of people they sort of had. And from my understanding, Tim was just pretty insistent that they ask me to yeah. see if I was free. And um, I was like, um, my, my partner's very supportive of all these things too, which is great. Um, because I'm always terrified of, you know, the, the turning around and being like, oh, I got this thing. What do you mean you're doing that? You know, like that's that's been previous experience. Yep. Um, and so... You know, I've, I've turned around. I'm like, I've been offered this thing. I'm like, oh, which band? It's like, oh, this band. It's like, you should do it. You got to do it. Like, I'm going to be. That means I'm going to be at a rehearsal studio in Strathmore every night this week, and then um, I'm going to be in Sydney on the weekend. She's like, I'm coming. I'm coming to the show. You can go do your rehearsal thing. I'll just look after the dogs. Like, you, you got to do this thing. It's like, oh fuck. All right, now I've got to do it because I'm being told I got to do it. That's amazing. Um. So yeah, that was that was a really really um incredible experience. So sort of going back into it, and then it was just like. It's just all old friends. You know, you walk into the venue, it's like, oh, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. It's like, oh, shit, we can just pick up the same conversation that we broke off a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, it was really, really nice. The imposter syndrome was fierce though on that one. <laughs> and and not unwarranted too. I mean, there were bite marks on my hand from like handing out mic grabs to people and they just bit me. Like I, I was used to that kind of shit with Jack the Stripper because people got started getting real weird towards the end, like licking my blood and sweat and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, people were really? fucking weird with that man. I don't know what it was. In Japan, there was some some lady that came and like grabbed my shorts that I played in and was sniffing them. I was like, oh God. Was, I was expecting it with that band. Yeah. But yeah. Ritual, a bit more normal. You'd know? think so, but like they've got a really, really powerful, rabid fan base of like fervent supporters that have their tattoos, like tattoos of the mm. band logo and that kind of thing. It's like, man. You know? And I guess the tragedy of losing like uh, Damo and Andy mm. as well really kind of galvanizes a absolutely. fan base of a, of, a, of a thing. So I'm sure that has a yeah. big part of it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people were sort of united in that sense of loss. And it also would draw people that, you know, if you've experienced loss, it's like here are these guys that have experienced some of the most brutal loss and they've been in the the deepest rock bottom that any of us could imagine in a lot of these ways mm. um and there they are still going at it you know proper proper hero kind of hometown hero kind of thing of they're they're out there they're still doing it and now they're doing it in memory of you know and they're not letting it destroy them and so mm. a lot of people became really really passionately attached to this band um it's very inspiring very much so yeah. and for you to kind of fill in that spot and, and do the thing without probably missing a, without missing a step, I assume, you know, like uh, how I, did you feel? I fucked, up, you, I fucked up once. You fucked there. up once? What'd I, you fuck I, up? I, there's like a line where I, I did the wrong line and <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Is that I why someone bit you? Is that why they did it? They were like, Arr. possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I figured they probably just bit me cause I don't know, pingers, but <laughs> But you did it nonetheless, and look, one mistake versus like what having a week to do it and getting it done—that's pretty amazing, dude. It's it's one of those things where you're in that setting and you're so worried about fucking up, but then once you're there, there's so much pressure there that you, you, your body it doesn't really let you. <laughs> it becomes allergic to it and very averse to it. So like it is locked down. It was a lot less movement than i was used to sort of doing in the past usually like jumping around like a bloody idiot and knocking mm. things over and and smacking things and whatever but um this one i just very much like front man but just the voice the rest of the band is actually at the front they had to be at the forefront of these things mm. so back to the pageantry and theatrics with the new band i reckon <laughs> And let's talk about, while we're still talking about you saying mm. yes to opportunities to mm. fill in for things, you've yeah. also just announced that you're going on tour again, filling yeah. in for vocals for Distant Tomb, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So they, they needed a singer and they saw a video from that Redshaw show and they're like, yeah, you can do it. So they, they said, would you like to do it? I'm going, okay, yep. So, so that was a direct correlation, yeah, direct yeah. you know, reaction from the Redshaw stuff. Yeah, so the, 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 the yeses just stack up. You know, like that Jim Carrey movie, but without the extremely problematic behavior that he shows to his missus. But um, yeah, it's just the, the, like the doors open and can keep on opening. Yeah. And now and you've got really that, exciting. you know, you've got the, um, you know, you're prepared and you got the opportunity. Yeah. And then going to get to go on tour with one of my favorite bands yeah. of my lifetime. So know, they're Cattle supporting Decapitation. Cattle Decapitation. Yeah. And where are you guys playing? It's 23 shows, um, so it's like Austria, Poland, Netherlands, like all through Western Europe. 
which is great. I've never done Western Europe. I did like the Eastern side of it. Um, and it's finishing up in the UK and Manchester. So I can't wait to get bottled and catch coronavirus. <laughs> That's amazing. So then mm. I thought that must have been on the cards for a while, but mm. that came directly from the Redshaw thing. That's so no. fucking cool, man. Yeah, so so it's just um, head down, bum up, keep working. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. It's a lot of fun. That's great. So it's so mm. good to know because here I am, you coming on the podcast and I'm like, I wonder what he's been doing other than, mm. you know, like feeling, but like you working on this. So growth, that's the name of the. Yeah, that's the name of the new one. So been growth is coming soon. When, yes. How soon are we talking? Um, well, we got to do it all. We're, we're doing it through the right avenues. So we're handing things over to publicists and trying to get label stuff happening and that stuff. So I'm, I want it to happen this year. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that happening in sort of the second half of this year. Mm-hmm. We're in March already. So We are in March already. It's fucking yeah. crazy. Here I am so, with 2020 goals and I'm like, you know, I don't know. Look, one of them is done. do lots of podcasts, so that's happening. Nice, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Well, to do lots, you need to make them, like, you not get people like me who talk for fucking five hours. You know, no, but this you, is it's good. It's all about qu- quantity, not quality. <laughs> I'm fine with this going for as long as it needs to. We've been, we've been smashing this. Oh, we still nice. got to do the lightning round stuff as well, but I Ooh. think we can roll a lot of the stuff that I'm missing. Like yep. your dog, Willie, that ah. can get, that's going to get in there because I know nice. one of them is about your pets. So we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> but it's good to know that you're keeping busy music-wise on top of building the scene Absolutely. around it and being valuable. We, we got up to, um, how many tours? I think seven or eight with, with Fortitude. So that was where a lot of my time and money was going into. Mm-hmm. Very much made that like, I'm not taking any money from this from anyone, um, which means I'm paying for a lot of it myself. Um, and means that if, if little things are happening over there for bands, then I was like, all right, just, you know, I'm going to help you. Like, here's some extra bus tickets and here's a Airbnb you got to stay in and that kind of thing, just to help that transition for them. And especially if there were, if there were issues that were happening within the tour of like organization, that kind of thing on the band's behalf, it's like, all right, I'll be the damage control for that kind of thing. Um, and that's fine. I was very, very sort of happy to do that. Um, I've run out of money now. So it's, and it's, it's, I guess it's a lot more difficult. I'm still hoping to get a couple more things done this year through that. Yeah, um, great. But uh, yeah, I think to, to try and put much more on those guys at this stage when they're all very, very busy as well would be sort of, um, you know, squeezing it out a little bit. So I don't want to put any sort of thumb screws on that one. I'm hoping that um, a lot of conversations that would have started between bands that were sort of involved in that kind of thing will will help to germinate more mm. happening because um, it's all, yeah, just more and more conversations. That's what I want. Mm. And I think that people listening to this now might be like, oh, Japan options, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. And if, even Think if it's just it. you being a, a, a friendly ear to talk to about some of this stuff, maybe help organize in some way, that's still... Mm. You know, that's what you want out of this, right? Yeah, like I, I was hoping to, um, I think it was a little bit frustrating at the start because I'm like, I'm going to launch this thing and it's a project, you know, it's it's, a, it's an artist service project and the thing with projects is that they can be, you know, you want other people getting on board with it. And so I was kind of hoping um, to start getting things like, oh man, you know, like that's great that you're doing this. Well, I'm a screen printer and you know, like I want to blah, 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 blah. And I was getting some of those, which was amazing. And we were like definitely using those contacts as we got them. But a lot of it was just like, hey, man, give me a tool. Mm. I'm like, um, hmm. No. Feels <laughs> a bit one-sided, this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, and, and, and 
for certain, like there, there were, there were certain bands and whatever that, um, that I absolutely wanted to be doing that for, because it's like, Hey, you know, this is important or what they're doing will connect somewhere else. And I think that's important. Like you said, people knocking on the door and then no one answering, you know? Like- yeah, and see these bands are like so, so hardworking. It's like, fuck, like get them, get them more overseas, more happening. Just get them back into the sphere. Mm. Australia is a very directive country in that we're told what we're like. And that's just the case of things. And that was, I guess, it, it's, it's most evident when we consider um, like Parkway, for instance. It was very much like they, they hit a, a plateau here. It's all on their DVD. They hit a plateau here and so the, the manager sent them over to Europe and they were like, just go do it. Go do it for this period of time and then by the time they came back, it's like, oh, you've done so many shows in Europe. Oh, FOMO. Oh, I don't want to miss out on this. And you can just keep stacking that and stacking that. And like, again, with that band, what they were doing was they were getting, you know, pyro displays and everything, all these amazing things happening in, in Eastern Europe where it's yeah. very accessible and very possible and very affordable and it was already a, like part of that tapestry that those guys had woven for themselves. Yeah. And then you bring it over here and like, no one does pyro over here. That's like that big and bombastic. So these guys must be the biggest act on the planet. And mm. so we, we, we're very insular in that way. And so it was really good to see some of these bands be able to break through that, that, that bubble through that. But um, at the same time there, there is a gratuitous amount of effort and hours and life that gets put into each one of these tours. And so it's just not, not enough of me mm. for that, unfortunately. Um, so to the bands that, that, that were hitting me up about that kind of stuff, um, I'm trying to, I've, I've, like I ran out of money to refresh the domain, unfortunately, but I'm bringing it back soon. And what I want to do is set up a directory, um, basically. So I was like, oh, okay, this country, you want screen printers in this country? Call these guys. Mm. Um, here, add your own details and just make it more like a, a white pages kind of resource because I always just wanted, I wanted to work myself into redundancy with it. Yeah. I want people to be like, by their second, their third tour, they're doing it all themselves. They know all the same people. They know yeah. the venues. They know how to book it. They can, Yeah. You know, didn't, they can... didn't want it to be some kind of like, I didn't, never wanted to be a gatekeeper or be anyone special in any sense of that word. Just wanted to foster more, again, more conversations and more things happening. So I'm really hoping to see more of that start to happen instead of it being like, Hey man, we want to tour Japan. Um, can you do it? It would be like, I just see the name there. Like, oh, they've done it. Cool. Like, yeah. I just want to see more of that. You know, we, we, we don't look at Asian countries enough. We're in Asia, but we don't look at it as an option. We always just want to play America. It's like it costs about 50 grand to play America as a base thing. And then you've got visas on top of that and everything with that. So it's actually very, very expensive and stressful. Usually you do it after you do a few European tours and build up money and then get the grants back and you have to build up to that. It takes years. Yeah. Um, whereas our local neighbors have beautiful music cultures like Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Thailand, and you've got Japan and Taiwan as well. Like they only discovered metal like this millennium. You know, it's, everything's so new and fresh and they're so angry over there for all the right reasons. You know, they want sovereignty, they want agency and they don't get these things. Um, so there's... So we can send in some Aussie dudes to just tear some shit up. Yeah, literally. And they just <laughs> fucking ruin everything and leave. In my defense, the, there was no water in that rider. It was like 40 degree days. Um, 
and they were serving 11% stout beer and that was what you had. There was 150 bands on that bill and let me tell you, not a single one of those bands was fucking sober. Everyone was just falling <laughs> over each other out the back. Fucking hell, yeah, that sounds it like... pretty wild. I'm surprised yeah. all that happened was the roof came down. Yeah, well, I, think, I think the roof came down on me spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Do you want to jump into some lightning round questions and then Absolutely. we can wrap this thing up? We're, yes. fucking, we're, we're right. on the verge of two hours here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this is going to take me a little second to get this up, but mm-hmm. um, I'll cut this out, hopefully. Or mm-hmm. maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just make it stupid enough. You know when people in podcasts say, I'll cut that out, and they don't cut it out. You're like, yeah. why didn't he cut that out? No. And he was like, oh, fuck, it probably wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. Um, all right. Mm. Here we go. All right. Analog or digital? Oh, I like analog, but I use digital. What time did you wake up today? Um, two o'clock. Yeah. This morning? Yeah. What? And then, then realised that that was way too early, so I went back and had a nap and then got back up at 5.30. I was like, oh. What time yeah. do you usually wake up? Ah, uh, it varies at the moment. Um, Is this because of work? Uh, yeah, I think like it's just I'm, I'm trying to um, get my sleep rhythm back in place. Um, so usually I'll try and be up around six. Um doesn't always happen though last thing you read mm. um read this great book called the boy crisis um by dr warren farrell i think his name is mm-hmm. um it's 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 talking about uh i guess we're seeing a lot of issues with um young men especially um committing horrible horrible things um lots of hurt people out there and these guys explore in a very, very meaningful and, and um, sound, like empirically sound kind of way, like years of research has gone into this piece, just trying to address any sort of social inequities that, that young blokes grow up with and come up to face up against. And um, it's just, it was really refreshing to sort of read these things about, you know, this vulnerability that so many young blokes are growing up with that they're not really given given the, the, the air to, to voice anything mm. to. Um, and just, it's a, a, a sympathetic and empathetic way of looking at these things without contempt. Because we see a lot of contempt when we see young boys hurting, like, oh, suck it up. You know, that's mm. always been a thing. And especially when, you, when you've got so much stuff like survivor bias and all that kind of thing happening, um, it just becomes a grandfathered sort of culture of, you know, suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. It's like... What happens then? You know, hurt men, hurt others. Mm. So it explores that and and offers some really, really meaningful solutions, which is really great. Um, and also, like, there's there's a little bit in there. There's a little bit of naturopathy, which kind of um, I'm I'm always a little bit dim about. But they they, they go into theories about uh, the relationship between ADHD and low dopamine sensitivity and low dopamine activities and this kind of thing and how you can sort of better create an environment in which young kids growing up with ADHD can feel more grounded and get more connection with low stimulating things and thus mitigating the effect of these things into adulthood. Wow. So, nice book. Also Goosebumps. I think I found an old Goosebumps and I read that. I was like, yeah, sick. (laughs) Which one? Uh, The Blob That Ate Everyone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Classic cover. Yeah. Classic cover. Um, uh, What's your first memory? 
Was that fucking thing with no face and red eyes? Yeah, that was my first dream memory. That's my so first good. memory memory, though, was um, getting kicked out of a crash <laughs> when I was like, I think it was still in Geelong. I was probably like, yeah, three or four. Um, and I just remember, like, I don't remember too much about it. You don't really keep too much about your memories with that one. But I remember certain, like, I was seeing my hands. There was, there was a train in my hands. I loved trains as a kid. And I had this train in my hands and the bigger, the bigger boy took it off me. And so I remember taking it back off him and then just beating him with it. And then I was not allowed back at that crash. <laughs> I was sent to me Arnie Doss's. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, tea or coffee? Coffee. Always. Last thing you cooked? Some soy. Yeah, always the soy. <laughs> um, God, I have no recollection of it. Uh, yeah, I'm back on the slow cooker, actually. I've been slow cooking heaps of meals. Lots of coconut curries and chickpea curries and soup. I love soup. So. You do soup in the slow cooker as well? Uh, and can be in the slow cooker, yeah. yeah. Um, stuff like potato and leek and that kind of thing. I usually use either a, a saucepan or whatever. But yeah, slow cookers are the way. We're the future and the past. It's like a $30 device that can you can make six meals at once with. And yeah. You can make anything in it. So Oh, dude, Andrea, who was on the podcast recently, made a cake out of there. And I was like... Yeah. I was like, in the slow cooker? I was like, yeah. fuck, I've got one. i got to use it more. You can, you can roast veggies in them and all kinds of stuff, man. They're an incredible thing. Fucking amazing. There you all go. About it. There you all go, listeners. It. Go buy a slow cooker. Yeah. Well, I've, I've made some of my clients get it and it's changed their life. Because mm. they were just buying KFC every night and then having no money for anything. It's like, okay, you can, you can spend 15 bucks and that will provide a good lunch for a week. Mm. So, yeah, slow cookers. Where to go, Addressing you? social inequities. Since whenever they were invented. The 70s, probably, right? Probably. <laughs> Around the same time as cocaine, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? Mm. I've always thought about this question and less about like what kind of animal I'd want to be. Because they... We've lost 80% of them. Mm. Yeah, like, or more than, in fact. Wasn't it like 80... 80% of animals on this world are basically livestock that we're using for our own, you know, choices and sustenance. So being another animal would probably kind of suck. Um, being in any other time of history would probably kind of suck um, because, you know, while we don't have climate crisis and that kind of thing hanging over our heads uh, in the 1800s, you do have uh, smallpox so, mm. and, and, and dropsy and whatever else. So I like to think about what, my own life would have been like if all the fucked up shit didn't happen in it. Mm. I always think about how much sustained traumatic events and, 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 you know, violent settings growing up and that kind of thing, like how much of that can define a person. I know it's certainly defined me in a lot of ways and, yeah. and, and informed a diagnosis that I didn't get until I was like 24. That was very much informing all my actions from when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, I always wonder what life would be like as a normie. So you were living in, in a bubble. You just, yeah, exactly. Like instead of being reborn or something else, you're doing like a split alternate reality where, yeah, you like, know. Or like even like getting to live in a you know pre 9-11 American college world, the one that they made all the movies about, you know, the one we always saw in all the movies, all the Wes Cravens, you know, doing parodies of it and that kind of thing. It's like, man, I would love to have been in that to see what it was all about. Mm. That, that super child centric 80s and 90s Regan youth, you know, just to be one of them and get, just as disenfranchised as the rest of them. Amazing. That would have been 
really special, huh? Yeah, it actually really would be. Yeah. I mean, as long as there's not some kind of dude running around killing everyone off. Yeah, but like even then, the, the, it's, it's always kind of Scooby-Doo, isn't it? It's a little bit safe. <laughs> it's a little bit safe. Whereas over there, they have like, it's, it's so much of a thing that they don't even make any mention of it anymore. It's like, just... That's, isn't that the funniest thing? Like, yeah. In, in all of this, is it like, yeah, it used to be a thing where someone's running around stalking someone with a knife and now it's like there's guns and we don't even give a shit. Horror is um, amazing in that way because it always just, uh, it, it, it speaks to the thing that we're scared of in the current zeitgeist. Mm. In, in, in the 50s, it was all big radioactive monsters because the Cold War was happening. In the, the, the 60s and 70s, it was starting to get more towards like there was lots of... Uh, cult and, and serial killer stuff because there was a lot of moralizing and panic going on along and then it turned into um you know throughout the 90s it went from that that super moralizing like the bad guy's gonna get you because you had sex and then it turned into the internet yeah? mm. um and and fear of of connection and isolation it's a fascinating concept. There's actually mm. a really good doco called uh, The American Nightmare. Right. Have you seen yeah. that? No, and it's a, no. they talk to all the kind of 70s film directors at the time, like mm. Wes Cravens, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper. And then mm. they're all talking about, oh, yeah, Vietnam. It was Vietnam that made yeah. them make yeah. these movies, this fear of, you well, know. Jacob's um, Ladder sort of really told it all yeah. in the best way, you know, and that, that was the fear of people. And um, King spoke it to a little bit in Pet Cemetery too about, you know, they don't come back the same. Mm. and that was very much what was happening in their society at that point in time exactly right so you can look up that doco uh, yeah. I, just watched, I just watched one called In Search of Darkness the other, yesterday yeah actually. dude I saw you posted about yeah, that I just I just got it on my great. computer the other day Damn. so I'll uh, have to watch it buckle in it's like four or five hours long but it's so complete it's amazing excellent and who yeah. do they interview in In Search of Darkness like who are they talking to um, they're talking to cast members they're talking to directors there's uh, John Carpenter's in there there's a lot of people like worked in special effects like Tom Savini he always loves um, to be interviewed and stuff yeah like they talk about him but you don't see him in there oh, unfortunately okay. but there's a lot of people that are work like they found these people that were just sort of involved in all these movies at once um, so it's like the same six or seven people but they were involved in all these things and that also was really, really exciting. Like, oh man, like it really was just this, this world like that they had like where a- they just kept pumping them out and it was just different expressions and so diverse, but all spooky. Oh, it's amazing. I can't yeah. wait to check it out. Mm. Um, what inspires you? At the moment, um, silence. <laughs> Seriously, you, you need to take some time to, to allow silence to happen. Um, it's where you recollect and re-energize. Um, because we're just constantly being fed things. Yeah. And it just crowds the brain. That old thing Bruce Lee about, you know, emptying the cup. He can't, like, he, he had this great thing that he did in his movie where he had, like, this cup of water, and it's full of water, and he's like, all right, this cup's full to the brim. What else can I put in there? Fucking nothing. Empty the cup, then you can actually, you know, start bringing things in. So, yeah, silence, man. You got to try and find it and, and nurture it and sustain it. If I'm by myself at the house, I'll happily not speak for days. I'm just like thriving on that quiet. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like my so, that's like my ultimate fear, just being yeah. left alone in silence. I gotta work really? on that shit. Yeah. Shit. Oh man. But I you know, a lack of attention. <laughs> you know, like a, a attention deficit. So it's like, you know, it's re- I'm always just like, like yeah, a, just, ah! it's just like essentially one minute of silence is like an eternity for me. Howling into the void. Mm. Yeah. Is, but that's my own demons we can work on that another right. time this is about you this is about me <laughs> it's about me damn it my void what about my voids uh, last record you played 
decent to him. <laughs> I, mean, I think I've, I've probably become their number one fan because I've just been like blasting it through Spotify this entire time trying to decipher their stuff it's like the Rosetta Stone man these yeah. lyrics are so like illustrative and well thought out and really really good good stuff which is really refreshing um, but then there's there's lots of chopping and changing that happens in that and some lines are not even in there and it's just the way of the singer I used to do it I still do it all the time too yeah it's like you write the lyrics as one thing and then performing it's a completely other thing that's pretty incongruent with those lyrics. It's just about totally. getting the phrasing and the words in. It's funny, actually. So. A couple of friends of mine um, have talked about how their Spotify wrapped every year is always fucked because it's always like their own bands because they're just yeah, listening to yeah. the set over and over again. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, favorite piece of musical equipment? Voice. Mm. Voice. Looking at bands, I'm so excited to see this uh, band, The Who, that are coming down. It's that Mongolian uh, war band. Um, they're doing like modern rock kind of sounding stuff and there's like a lot of southern rock in there. But it's all throat singing and chants and all these other bands like Heilung and, and, and mm. uh, Vodruna and those kind of things. There's so much power in the human voice. Um, yeah. Fucking great answer. It was the instrument before all instruments. So. <laughs> Fucking oath. Um, last movie you saw, Search of Darkness? Or In Search seen- of Darkness. Um, and then Star Wars. Which Star Wars? Rise of Skywalker? Uh, we're, we're going all the way through them. Um, so uh, episode seven, I think it was last night. Meg's convinced me to give it a shot. I never never liked it as a kid because yeah. you know, you're know you a dumb shit kid in the school getting bullied and your name's Luke and it's the 90s. So what do you, what, 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 are, they, what are they trying to rope you in with? Uh, Luke Skywalker. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be a be a part of this it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me and then you know our, our time was the phantom menace it was like meant to be the great resurgence of these things and it came out and it sucked so mm. everyone's like oh okay i'm like oh, okay this is always shit then i don't need it don't need so it you guys started with phantom menace like you didn't start with episode four you went when you're doing this star wars yeah we decided to do the star wars thing because i went and watched the last one in the in the movies um and i was like oh this is this is great because Star Wars itself is is an appropriation of the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. It's that that very big sort of Jungian kind of philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. So as a as a psych nerd, I'm like, oh man, this is sick! Like getting to watch all these different frames happen. You know, the the, the refusal of the call, the taking up of the call, and the arrival, and all the, the magic world versus the real world, and all that mm. kind of stuff. So I was like, all right, knowing that it's this, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into it. And it's really cool to see it's actually just three of those journeys and the one that turns into tragedy and then the other one that turns into success and then the other one that turns into um, success against even bigger odds mm. kind of thing. It's sick. It's yeah. it's actually a really interesting thing. And, and for listeners, if you are completely confused by what was just explained, mm. so Joseph Campbell wrote a book, it was called The Hero with a Thousand Faces or something. Yeah, that's one publication of it. He was an yeah. academic who, who just drew together every piece of folklore that he could find i think it was the 40s or the 50s when he was doing it so mm-hmm. obviously there's some inaccuracies but he basically found that there was a commonality between horace um xerxes or not uh, bloody, uh the odysseus um perseus all the all the great heroes um of every culture they shared a common thread and he devised a, a plot line that they all tended to follow. Mm. Um, that, and it's that like includes in Jesus and all the, all the different types. Yeah. It's a, it's a full cyclical kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then uh, George Lucas's wife read the book and was like, Hey, you should put this in space. So he did. <laughs> you should it's put like this sick. in space with a 
you know, a samurai looking all black bad guy yeah. and a this and a robot. And, and a, a cantina band <laughs> playing jizz. That's what they call it. The style of music is called jizz. I won't get over it. I will not sit down. And you we're jizzing. Sh- you shoot it. You no. shoot it. It's called jizz. Yeah, we're jizzing. Um, and it's fascinating because if you look at, you can you can track the hero's journey across like so many movies like mm. The Matrix and Rocky and Rambo and yes, yeah. Stallone's big into it as well. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's just pretty much the same formula every time. It is, but we attach ourselves to it. Yeah. It's, it's so meaningful to us. It's the one great story. And exactly. Yeah. And it, it, just because movies all have the same three act structure doesn't mean you can't enjoy, like it's like you watch one movie and go, well, I've watched one now. I can't enjoy any more. Like it's the same every time, but think, it's variations on the theme and it's still great. We, we don't tend to notice it when it is there. We just notice it when it's not there. Mm. and sometimes the subversions of these things like for instance uh, hereditary and that kind of thing or like uh even um movies like the witch i would say falls into that category of like hero's journey of like it's the greatest coming of age story i've seen in a number of years um but if we see it subverted in a really good way then it's like yeah that's the shocking that's the twist ending you know that's the park chan wook films and that kind of thing yeah it's like when we see that 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 thing that's been sublimated into how we envision a story to go and that subvert is like so much more impactful like the mist or something like that too mm. you know, where darabont just chucked a spanner in there um but we do notice when it's lacking and that's when it sucks yeah <laughs> and that's when the movie has no substance it's interesting isn't it mm. um who do you love oh everyone excellent do you have any pets so many yeah, I was yeah. going to say, tell us about Willie Worldwide. <laughs> Willie Worldwide, well... Um, also, Tim it, wants to know, what weed does Willie smoke and can he get some? I don't know what that means. <laughs> what is it? I don't think that uh, Willie should be touching anything like that. <laughs> I think Willie, Willie's a very traumatized dog. Um, and so i think that he should stay away from that i think that he would do well to um undergo some dialectic behavioral therapy old billy um but unfortunately um dogs don't tend to think with a relational frame so we were using an entirely different uh metric for them (laughs) but willie does get um doses of cbd oil on occasion um just to make him sort of extra extra relaxed Oh really? This day. is this is a real thing? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um helpful for them in some settings. Ah. Um, yeah, dog dogs get pretty bad anxiety, and a lot of the time when we see like a dog, then we say, oh, it's a vicious dog. It's usually a, a pain or a fear based response. Mm. Um, and that's very much the case for Willie. And um, yeah, I love that little guy. He's 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 just such a sook. Um, but I think I, I relate to him a lot because of his optics and because he, he's, he's a 35 kilo bull Arab that, you know, he's got scars in his head because his past life, he was a pig hunting dog and that kind of thing. Um, and people see him and they sort of Ugh, like recoil a little bit, you know, they, I've, I've had people actually cross the street away from us to continue walking. Mm. Um, whereas in reality, he's, he's baby, you know, he just like, he loves to be held upside down in your arms cradled. And like, that's, that's his thing. He just wants to be close to people. And I relate to that a lot, I think. Yeah. It's like, just soft and gooey center. Now, there's more pets in the mix. Tell us who else is yes. there. There's a, there's uh, a new addition as well. Mm, yeah. So, well, uh, I, I woke up one morning and found that I'd adopted a snake off a friend. Um, we went to see Yob and got real rowdy. And um, I remember him mentioning it at a bowling alley. I think we're at somewhere. And then basically I woke up 
and got a message like, hey, I'm coming over with the snake. I'm like, oh, shit, okay, all right. Um, so I've got a seven-foot carpet python named Ripley. Um, there's a little turtle named Dr. Zayas. Um, there's two frogs, uh, Roland and Brenda. Uh, we found out Roland's a girl this year. Um, <laughs> so good Roland. Um, the, 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 the frogs are Meg's, so she's bringing in her menagerie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a staghound, Edith. Um, who was found wandering the streets of Barnawatha out near Shepparton. Um, and there's Graham, Graham the Pomeranian, um, who has one eye um, and all the personality in the world. And he does these little spins and he does his little sniffs and grunts and it's just, uh, I've never had a dog that small. I don't know what to do with him. But he's very cute. <laughs> that is... So. Okay, so for starters, for the question, do you have any pets? Never has there been that many pets. Amazing. Mm. Second, sadly, you are the second person to own a snake. Have you mm. and Sam Dillon ever talked about snake yes, stuff? Yes, I've gotten snake advice off him too because um, I, like, I think there was at one point I was really concerned about enrichment for snakes because humans, we, we, we um, anthropomorphize everything and just assume that every animal has the same needs and wants and expressions as us. Totally. Um, reptiles, they don't give a fuck. And it's it's really really mindful experience just like being around these creatures that they'll tolerate your presence. Um, they don't need you. They don't need you for a second. That's like, exactly what Sam said. Yeah. Well, it's the truth. It is. And I've been I've been bitten by a, like one time really badly, and that was just because I was warmer than like the the uh, defrosted um, food that I was trying to give her. And so she's like, "Yeah, you're the food now." I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, that's that's fuck. that's where it happens, you know. And the, like, she's been really useful for. Um, I had her around my shoulders um, a lot, and would take her out a lot, and then realize like, okay, yeah, that's probably just um, actually annoying and can be distressing for her. Um, so I usually just let her have her own space. But really, really handy to have wrapped around your arms, dressed in your undies, for when the Jehovah's Witnesses answer the door, <laughs> or they come knocking and I answer the door with the snake around me, just with my little tiny, um, tiny, tidy whities on. Can I help you? Yes. I believe that I can. Yeah, I was just about to say, I got an apple in here if you want to eat on it. Yeah, yeah. Are you here for the three o'clock orgy or the five o'clock? Are you useful? I, I hope so. <laughs> I've built my entire life around trying to be, so hopefully. No, that's, a, that's probably that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, oh, I don't know, really. I think, yeah, I think you are very useful. What's your biggest yeah. fear? Extinction. Mm. I think I've, I've seen enough things in my life, specifically enough horrors of, of, and been around death enough that like death and suffering and these kind of things, I'm not, not averse to it. I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of people. Um, I'm not really scared of events because events are things that we have no control over. But extinction is something that really kicks my ass. The idea of us taking everything with us when we exist in a world separate to the rest of the living world, almost, it's it's very um, very heartbreaking in a lot of ways, and that the the, the idea of that affects me a lot more deeply um, than anything else, really. Huge. Hmm. Um, what do you value the most? Life, life in all its forms. You know right down to the moss and the, the fungi. It's like, it's all so cool. And it's it's so fascinating and fantastic in the way that it proliferates and, and it manifests. 
Um, and I spend a lot of time being scared of life. And so I'm really enjoying it now. It's really cool. There's heaps of weird shit to do. And if you don't think that there's weird shit to do, just go off into the forest, see how many different types of birds you can hear. You know, I live in the Dandenongs. There's like 45 that are endemic to the area. It's like there's always something different that's got its own entire world there. And just to be able to be like, oh, I'm observing you occupying that world in your own ways. And it's just awesome. Fucking amazing. Hmm. Um, what kind of voices can you do? Can you do any voices or accents? I do all voices. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's your favorite Dude, go-to voice you could do? Um, well, I've always, I always wanted to be the movie trailer guy growing up. Yeah. I always wanted to be that. In a world where laughter is king. That kind of thing. You know, <laughs> the voice pushed back. Um, so love doing the, the, the movie trailers. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I use characters a lot when I'm working with my, with my kids at the, the resi unit. Yeah. Um, because you gotta, you gotta use a little bit of pageantry. Sometimes it's like to, to, it's the only thing that'll make them laugh that morning and get them up out of, out of the bedroom kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, so, and I, I, I use it in a way to sort of, I can be a little bit reductive towards certain arguments that they might have against, you know, doing the thing that they will benefit from. And so you just got to do the body first like that and just, you, know, you just, you take on the persona of the miserable boomer plasterer that's never done anything with their life and they're angry about it. And so <laughs> you create characters for all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think everyone should find more things their voice can do. The voice is very strange. It's super strange. Dude. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for jumping straight into those characters. Without, you didn't even need to do like a, a look away, a comeback. It was just straight in, you know? It was very professional. Um, are you an anime guy or a Disney guy? I think I have the same reservations about Disney that everyone has. Especially totally. um, thinking about what really happened to the animals in Marlow and Otis. And, oh, and, and, and the, the entire theory about the lemmings was something that they created themselves. Lemmings don't jump over cliffs. They were thrown, you know, by Disney people. So, yeah, fuck them. Um, but also anime started as a way to try and encapsulate and envision um, ideas that were present in the Japanese culture that were also hit with that mass of, of disillusionment and, and uh, sadness after the events of World War Two. There's one piece there, actually, when we think about the value of, of, of certain animes and how pervasive they've been in culture, there was one you can see on YouTube called um, Barefoot Genji, I think it is. And it's a person's animated recollection of their experience as a child surviving the atomic blast of Hiroshima. Whoa. Um, and it is brutal. Like, you got to be prepared to have the wind sucked out of your life for a while after that because it just shows how total and absurdly cruel that process was. And how um, universal, like, and, and merciless it really was, um, and so they, they, it's it's a short piece, and it speaks to that. And the events that happen in that film, I was getting really into certain animes. Well, you grow up with Dragon Ball Z and that kind of thing. It's like fuck yeah, like you know, infinite power. If you just keep working hard enough, you'll prevail. You know, good always wins, and and if you stay true to your values, you will succeed. Um, but I was getting a bit more into the nihilistic, like the sign-in style stuff. And I'd really gotten into Junji Ito and the Lovecraftian kind of absurdist stuff. And, um, the, 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 the manga side of things and battle Royale was one of my favorite things growing oh, up. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, but then 
around 2014, 2015, um, my mate Lyndon showed me uh, Attack on Titan. And he was like, here's this thing. See what you think of this thing. And, you know, obviously it's it's very present in culture these days because it's huge. It was a blockbuster. Yeah. Um, but the first episode of that is Barefoot Genji. Oh. The same plot points and events, the house, the, uh, the, the terror, the chaos, all these things I think were drawn from that. And so we can start to see... Uh, a, a motif throughout that of like how they're speaking to suffering and experience and they speak to it in a very very beautiful and poignant and universal way um, but they've just happened to experience it firsthand yeah so it's like take taking it and flipping the script you know taking these awful things and taking grief and then transforming it into something that that, that people can attach to and I just love how there's such a I've always loved like the pop songs that have the brutal lyrics kind of thing and so when we see stuff like Spirit of the Way and everyone's like, oh, it's such a beautiful, it's a kid's film, it's a kid's film. And like, no, no, there, there's, there's threads alluding to child sex trafficking in that movie. And Miyazaki was pretty explicit about that. And you guys are all getting no face tattoos. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. You know, I'm with you. I have a tattoo of Lovecraft. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Got to separate the art from the artist. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to got to separate the character No Face from the um the the shadow of pedophilia that was you know emblematic. Fuck, that is yeah. I actually know a couple of people with the No Face tattoo. That's a it's a hard pill to swallow. It is. Um, we got to swallow them sometimes though. Fuck. And that is the most in depth answer to the question <laughs> anime or Disney that we've ever had. Send a Shit. couple of records on this podcast, Luke. I'm I'm loving you being here. Nice. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek. Well, Star Wars obviously a new thing for you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll say that um, again because it's the the Campbell story and it's important. I do love Star Trek though. You can start a show just about discovery and about connection, and it wasn't about conquest. It was just about discovery, and there's mm. so much beauty to that. There's a, there's an innocence to that, and I think we need to return to that. Very much so. Uh, Autobots or Decepticons? Well. Galvatron and Starscream get the best lines, as always. But there's always a special place in my heart for Truck Daddy. <laughs> Truck Daddy, he was all our daddies. He was everyone's daddy growing up as a kid. And uh, when they killed him, that, that was a dirty. They did the dirty. That was mm. a big mistake. Um, that was, for, for a lot of kids, that was their introduction to death. They had to watch <laughs> Truck Daddy fucking die. Just after he was getting all cool with the swords, like he'd never had swords before. Imagine that, you know. Oh, poor Truck Daddy. Yeah. Poor Luke, seeing Truck Daddy die like that. Well, he was always just the voice of equanimity and the voice of, of reason. And uh, yeah, but then, of course, like, I don't know, have Autobots and Decepticons, I'd probably still pick Unicron because he's the giant elemental, you know. Also, he's Orson Welles. Yeah, which true. Is sick. Yeah, phoning it in one of his phoning last in his roles. last role. <laughs> was it his last role? I think ever? it was uh, possibly. I can't remember if there was another one, but yeah, it was like that was a brutal time for that bloke. Yeah, you ever, you ever hear his um the the outtakes of the advertisements that he was doing, like the voiceover work and shit. Something where he was just wasted the entire time. Yeah, actually, you say that, and that twigs a memory that I feel like I have heard that before. Where yeah. he's just like, I think it was like an ad for champagne, and he just kept drinking it or something like that. It was one of those kind of things. Yeah. God. Poor dude. Yeah. Success 
eats people sometimes. You know? Fucking know it does. If you if you try to push yourself too far into these public spheres and you're just using art and music to paper over cracks in your personality, then those cracks are going to come through. So yeah, yeah. Fucking oh, dude, you you. That's a really interesting point. You did mention that earlier. You talked mm. about that, like you know, patching these cracks with your own kind of mm. with your own work or whatever. And it's like yeah, yeah. It's a it's a hollow it's a hollow way to do it. Yeah, it comes back for you. Mm. Mm. Fucking fascinating. Um, are you more of a Batman or a Robin? Mm. I don't know. Like, uh... see, can I just preface this before you answer? Is that mm. everyone's like Batman, definitely Batman, but you're the only person I feel like you're giving these questions some real thought. So it's like, mm. where's your head at for for this question? Yeah, I'm I'm really uh, yeah, I'm stumped with that one. Because I think like well, there's Batman and there's Robin, but there's also like a full pantheon of characters in there that all represent certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for for me, I've I've always had an affinity for the ones like uh, Bane and Killer Croc and those kind of guys <laughs> because like here are people that were in pain and suffering, and then they were just like morphed into a monster, and then they just leaned into it and became the monster, and that kind of arc has always been fascinating to me. Mm. Um, because it's it's just one that's like anyone can give themselves permission to become a monster um and so anyone can become these things and then they further they further exemplify that with harvey dent yeah the whole like you know you live long enough to see yourself become the villain kind of ethos so like batman is you know i resent him in a lot of ways because he's a fucking billionaire and what could he really do to save the world well if we had a real batman you know he could just fucking just stop climate change and, and he's not just jumping around with fucking bat hooks and that and he's 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 leaned into his trauma and not overcome it and he's using that as an energy source Correct. which i resent because i don't believe that people should be doing that and that's been the source of a lot of suffering um wouldn't want to be robin because he was beaten to death with a crowbar so I'm thinking probably I was just... That was just, just, that was just, just Jason Todd, though. That was... Yeah, yeah. But I don't know any of the others. I'm not that deep into the lore of it. I just know these things. <laughs> he did, he did. And yeah. then they brought him back in the Lazarus pit and he came out crazy. Well, there so, you go. So, yeah. yeah that's, well, yeah, you're not, supposed yeah. To, you're not supposed to come back from death from the Lazarus pit. You're supposed to kind of... It's supposed to just keep you from dying like a... Like Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah I don't know. Like, I, I like the villains a lot in Batman. You like, say Bane, and it's like, yeah, Bane. You you strike me as a bit of a, you know, like I could, you know, uh, you've, I, got a, you've got a bit of a Bane vibe. I was obsessed when that movie first came out. Like I went and got, uh, had, had the mask, and I would like, I was a personal trainer at that period in time. Oh, so we're talking about Tom Hardy. Voice with the mask. And like I would just like walk in there with my hands and my, my thumbs in my jacket like that, and just that was fun. Yeah, see, this is something that, um, like. That movie, I had issues with it, but people like uh, my buddy Wills told me that I need to rewatch it and give another go because a lot mm. going on there. And then the, the um, writers Jonathan and what's his Christopher Nolan were talking about it's mm. a tale of two cities and it's this and it's about inequality. Mm. And I was like, "Fuck yeah, I missed a lot of that, and I yeah. need to go back and and give that a, another bit of uh, another bit of a watch." Because I think in my head it was just like Batman in the daylight. You can see his outfit and everything. This is yeah. dumb. <laughs> like that was but my I'm, original kind of like yeah. push against it. I always love those subversions too. That's why I'm really looking forward to the new Candyman remake coming yeah, out because dude, the like the first sick. Candyman was, well, that was again like that's a big commentary on social inequities, um, where they put just a bit of urban legend into there. 
it's all about the projects in, mm. um, in, in America and just how much sadness and, and, and brutality went on in those things that was this, this, this construct that people were funneled into and then the, the result was then punished arbitrarily by the police and it's just this ongoing like just a constant melting pot of bad shit um and then tony todd in there is just incredible is he coming yeah. back for this new one or is it just I this i don't know yeah i was gonna he's, say he's got one of the best voices out of them all you know um and yeah you see him in the daylight yeah it was one of the first movies where apart from like maybe halloween where you see the shape um standing behind the hedge and then he just yeah. pops behind Candyman was the first movie I really saw where it was like, oh, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he's just there. There he is. And he's he'll get you. He's going to get you with that big, nasty hook and all his bees. Not the bees. And he, but he gets you with the bees. It's like <laughs> daylight. So I always like that, that that flip into the daytime. Fucking oath. Mm. Wait, so we that question was whether you're... Oh, and then we got on to Bane mm. and then we got on to Candyman. How yeah. the fuck did we get to the Candyman? I was thinking about daylight. Oh, yeah. You know, dark yeah, shapes Batman in the daylight. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Batman and Tales. I was like, this is weird, but we'll give it another yeah. go, especially now that you love Bane so much, and that makes me, <laughs> makes me happy. Um, well, who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? That's one I never got into. You never, did, you never did Turtles? No, I never did the Turtles. I was, um, I was the, the Gargoyles kid. Oh, I dude. Gargoyles. Gargoyles. Yeah. What a fucking great show. Gargoyles was the best. Um, the music and just everything about it was so sick. I have it on that hard drive in this computer, like the whole series. Because yeah. like watching that as a kid, it was like, fuck, this is you'll, amazing. You'll have forgotten how much it meant to you until you hear that. And you're like, oh, there it is. No, like, well, so yeah. me and my buddy Bo watched the the pilot. And yeah. I forgot that it takes place in like the Highlands back hundreds of years ago before they would get cursed. Yeah, and stuff. it's full like, Highlander style. Like, this yeah. is and yeah. then I was like oh and then it gets to the like they're on top of the building in New yeah. York or whatever yeah um, but yeah it blew me away I was like I love that show there was so much shit going on it was um, it was one of those rare ones in that cocaine fueled haze of the 80s and 90s where there was like there was that in Captain Planet that the strong moral fibers throughout the whole thing and there was like morals in mm. there that I really liked yeah very much so mm. and I remember all the toys that were for kids like going to World for Kids and seeing all the gargoyles lined up yeah. it was just like I miss World for Kids yeah yeah so this is what you're trying to bring back with this band, right? Like get this That's World for Kids action. That's what I was hoping action, to do. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just like give give people a little bit of that spark of joy again. Fucking oath, man. I remember just going to World for Kids and being that little and seeing like aisles of like just Spider-Man toys or yeah. just Batman toys. It was just like, fuck. Like, yeah. The Transformers in particular. Yeah. That was my, that was my bag. I think um, I got, got a bunch of them uh, through one of mum's mates at work had like all the Gen 1 ones. And so I got a whole bunch of them just given to me. They all went in the fire, unfortunately. That's like priceless collection. But I yeah. had so many of them. That's so cool. exciting. All the Dinobots, everything. Had, uh, what's that one? All the planes, the good guy planes. It's like got Silver Bolt as the main one. And then all the other ones went around him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that one, but I don't know the name. Superion. Oh. Superior, and I had him. That was my crowning glory. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. You go to different people's houses and have different. Yeah, you know, everyone, like- everyone had the different big one, you know. <laughs> and I always really wanted uh, the Predicus like that. That like because there was that weird point in time when they really started circling the drain for ideas, and you had the like the the like the dinosaur, not dinosaur. It was like the Leo bot and everything, like all the lines and shit, and they yeah. turned into this giant like Frank Frazetta style barbarian. It was sick. 
hey man, there's still time. So, we can track this shit down. Yeah. Oh, if you got <laughs> if you got the thousands of dollars, yeah. actually, heaps of it in Japan. There's the Nakano markets where it's all just kept there in pristine condition. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Amazing. Collector's dream. Uh, what movie could you watch every day and not get sick of? Um, well, Return of the Living Dead. I've had on for entire days at a time and every time I've turned to the TV and like I'll you know peel off and do other things but like when I was doing that 500 burpees thing for charity like last year I had that on the entire time and it just means like every time you go back to the TV it's like yes, yeah, sick sick <laughs> sick it's just so much fun like that in the Matrix I think I probably I, I watched the Matrix so many times as a kid that I burned holes in the, in the DVD yeah and I was able to memorize the entire script leading up to a certain point it's like okay this is getting real sad you need friends no, but they're both great movies, man. Mm. Both great movies. You could just alternate the two of them, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a pass. You can have two. Mad. Um, what country do you want to visit the most? You're going to tick off a fair few yeah, on this I'm going, tour. I'm going, going to Germany. I've always wanted to go, but never found the time. Yes. Yes. All right. And famous last words. Oh. You always have an idea in your head about what your famous last words would be, but... You think about the Roald Dahl example? Like, What's the Roald Dahl so example? So Roald Dahl, author of the BFG and James of the Giant Page. Like Chocolate Factory. Chocolate, Chocolate Factory, yes. Yeah, celebrated children's author. Also um, had really macabre stories. Uh, I remember he made a short story about a, uh, a woman who beat a man to death with a uh, leg of lamb, like a frozen leg of lamb. And then when the cops came to do the inspection, she fed it to them, so fed them the murder weapon. Whoa. Like these guys, like he had a really, really twisted mind. Um but his 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 last words was uh, he was he was talking to his loved ones, his family and friends, and everyone around him in the deathbed. And it was um, you know, really beautiful. Like you know, I'm, I'm I'm sad to leave, but I'm so glad to have shared my travels with you all. I love you all. Um, and then he went to close his eyes, and then the nurse fed a morphine drip into him, and he woke up at the pinprick and went, "Oh fuck!" and then died. So that's likely. <laughs> so your famous last word is going to be "oh fuck." Probably it's probably "oh fuck." Like you think of like all these different kind of phrases that you want to hold, and you just hold them as values throughout your life instead, and hopefully people remember them for that. But I'll probably remember "oh fuck" or like some kind of fart noise or just a, like that kind of noise. Well, uh, <laughs> I think it's a great way to end this podcast. Oh, ah fuck, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, giving me all this time and getting oh, to man, delve into it. Oh man, there's a lot of time in there, isn't it? There's a lot of time and I hope Shit. everyone listening is just like, fuck, whoa, you know, because we've tackled some fucking big shit today and I think it's been really, think it's been really good. I cool. think it's really beneficial. Excellent. Well, <laughs> I'll let you guys get back to your lives then. I'll stop crawling inside your ears. Hi, welcome to the Post Ramble. This is a record length podcast, so I probably won't take too long, but I just love the sound of my own voice so much, so I gotta do a post ramble. No, I also think it's weird if I did do it didn't do a post ramble. Like I think you gotta do it. I think it's become a part of the show now. I think people like hearing the music underneath it all. I hope it means something to someone. Um, and I kind of want to talk about a couple of things because a lot of stuff's been going on in the last week. Now, I recorded this episode with Luke last week. It is now Tuesday. We're back from the long weekend. I had a crazy couple of days and it was like, fuck, you got to put that episode out. But before you do that, you got to plug in the microphone. you got to psych yourself up to talk to something that's going to be recorded in the halls of history forever. <laughs> no pressure or anything. 
Um, but no, I um, had a great long weekend, um, starting from Friday night seeing Russell Brand live do his new show, Recovery, which was pretty wild. Uh, not only was that pretty wild, but I also met Neil Gaiman and talked to him as we were entering Hamer Hall. Um, for listeners who don't know who Neil Gaiman is, is he's a comic book writer, he's an author. Um, Good Omens, that new Amazon Prime show, that was him with Terry Pratchett. And uh, he also did that show American Gods, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, the book's really great. He actually does some of the narration himself in the audiobook on Audible, which is how I <laughs> checked out American Gods, which is pretty sick. So it was pretty cool to hear his voice in real life talk to me. Rory Beforth. Wow, that was pretty cool. So we had a little bit of a chat as we were entering our seats, which was pretty cool. That was Friday. Uh, Saturday, I had a fantastic night with some friends. Um, just kind of having a bit of a chill one and then Sunday got to go see Earthrot which was fucking awesome Earthrot are an amazing band um, I was also really impressed by Sunder who were supporting them and if you listen to this episode with Luke you probably know who Sunder is and you're probably a fan of them as well so it was really great to see them and have a chat with them afterwards hopefully there'll be some podcasts in the future with some of those guys and I just love coming to the gig there was a couple of people that I ran into that were fans of the show which was kind of surreal and very exciting so if that was you guys thanks for listening really nice to meet everyone and uh a lot of cool interesting potential guests on the horizon after sunday night so anyway it's tuesday morning now we've come back from all that excitement uh and uh just wanted to have a little bit of a gratitude moment you know thanks everyone for listening it's been really cool it's been it's it is very surreal when people say that uh they listen to the show or they know my voice or they've got to match the voice to the face so any of you guys listening who haven't seen my face yet or haven't met me it's uh yeah get ready for that that'll happen that'll be a little bit weird it's never as what you expect is it you know some people almost want to <laughs> i remember one time i was talking to andrew at a gig uh andrew daniel who's been on the podcast before and she was kind of like i almost just want to like listen to you talk and not look at your face <laughs> Which is funny, you have to do, in public, I think you have to just do both. But um, yeah, this Luke episode was great. I had a fucking great time recording it. Um, Sorry it's taken a week to get up. It's just been one of those things, you know how it is. But I still think everything is still very relevant. It was really great just having Luke come over. It was middle of the day. We didn't have anything really to do. um, And that gave us time to have a really good chat after the podcast once the mics were off. And uh, Luke played me a lot of that stuff, growth, which is very exciting, very technical, very it's just fucking brutal it was amazing and i can't wait for you guys to hear that too so hopefully uh once that's up and out i'm sure it's still gonna be a couple of months away but uh when it is we'll definitely post about it here he'll definitely post about it as well so make sure you go follow luke i'll uh tag him on all the instagram posts and stuff and uh you know just follow follow that action because that's um something to get excited about for sure so again thank you everyone for listening uh, follow at Fuck you Tara Lady on Instagram. Send me a message. And uh, yeah, hope you guys have a great rest of your week. A short week. Um, if you were in Australia and you had that public holiday, probably going back to work today. Feels like a Monday. Feels like a Monday for me too, but it is a Tuesday. So probably should definitely get this podcast out ASAP. So I'm going to not edit this. I'm just going to... Sometimes I edit the post rambles because I'm like, uh, fuck, cut that bit out. That was a bit shit. But this time I'm not even going to do it. I'm going straight in. This is the thing. Thank you, everyone. It was great to meet everyone on Sunday night. It was fucking a really special time. A lot of stuff to do, you know. Um, I guess especially because usually I am a Meredith slash Golden Plains guy. I didn't go to Golden Plains this year. Missed out on that. 
getting a, like a tiny bit of FOMO because a lot of people were there that are like, oh, it'd be great to be there. But geez, the weekend itself instead, what a replacement, what a, what a special thing to do instead. So yeah, good times, very good times. Anyway, so let's smash this short week. Hope you guys are having a great one and uh, hopefully we'll do another episode uh, very soon. Cheers.